Hello and welcome to The Full 42. I'm your host, Chris Amador. This series is dedicated to the people I've met along my journey and their stories. This conversation is with Billy Groom. Billy is a best example of living life on your own terms. She has traveled throughout the Americas having adventures while finding homes for homeless animals. She's an author, a podcaster, and an expert in canine cognitive behavioral therapy. She is one of the coolest people I've met. She's an impressive advocate for animals and someone who truly walks the walk. And so it begins. Billy, I cannot tell you how much I've been looking forward to this conversation with you. I as well. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you are the superhero of, of all, the, the, the patron saint of all, of all animals. Well, thank you. That's, that's an interesting title, and I really appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, Chris. Thank you so much. Well, I mean, uh, just having to go over your bio just a little bit was just, uh, I mean, you've lived four lifetimes. <laughs> and yet I still feel like I have so much to accomplish. I need four more lifetimes. Wow. Wow. So what, so looking over your bio, like everything really changed for you in the early nineties when you started your own shelter. What for, so you, you, you grew up in Northern Canada. I, uh, uh, Central Canada. So Ontario, actually Southern, just like North of, I guess, Buffalo or New York for all those Americans listening in Toronto. Straight north of there. So I wasn't in downtown Toronto. I was raised in what is now amalgamated, but at the time was just a small town. So yeah, that's where I was. But I've lived on the East Coast and the West Coast. And I had a shelter in North Carolina. But it was unintentional. It was all unintentional. It wasn't a well thought out game plan. <laughs> it, <laughs> so what was childhood like for you in that, in, in that area? Uh that's that's an interesting question because I actually have just recently learned more about it in the last couple years. I, I I was in a small town, so we were fairly we were a really good family. My parents were were great. They uh, were well liked, part of the community, and then they were which I I don't normally share, but I, I mean I knew this from when I was seven, but I didn't know how. It affected my career path until a man got a hold of me in early uh, 2019, just random. I mean, I'm actually on LinkedIn where I met you, or he saw me there and then got a hold of me. But um, he he uh, wanted to get a hold of me to tell me a story. So he called me one day out of the blue in early 2019, uh, yeah, I guess it was 2019, and asked if I was born with the name Leslie and born in Port Credit. And I don't hide that. So I told him, yeah, I was. And he asked, he said he saw me on LinkedIn and he saw what I do for a living and what my passion is. And he wanted to tell me a story because he felt like it was really important for me to know. And I knew what had happened to me when I was seven, but I didn't know this story. And I guess his family pet, uh, which was a great dog, he lived in the same community I did, and he, he was about 10 years older. So at the time, he was 17, and I was seven. And his family dog got out of the yard, which is just rare. Like, And there wasn't internet back then or anything. So rumor got around town that my parents had taken his dog in and was looking for the owner for this dog named Flash. Well, I guess my parents didn't know the dog's name was Flash. But um, so he came over to my house, and I was there, but I didn't really come out. I was really shy. I still am really shy. And he really gravitated to my parents. They're wonderful people. 
And he was so appreciative that they took his dog in and he was so happy to get his dog back. And he really, really loved them. And then a couple, uh, two nights later, they were, uh, two nights later, they were killed by a drunk driver. And this really affected him. He really had, it just, it really affected him. And he saw me a couple months later in the school yard. And I wouldn't normally start with the story. I don't share this story a lot, but it's hard to talk about my childhood without j jumping around. So he said that he, he saw me in the schoolyard and he wanted to come over, but he didn't because he didn't know what to say to me. And he knew that there were challenges on who was going to take me in and what to do and, and how to do that. And, and, and he realized that the, the challenge was in people knowing how to relate or to be comfortable with people with a, a checkered past or with something that is different or they don't know how to relate to them. And in my mind, I was still the same little girl. I was myself. I was just my little girl, except I was living with a different family, not far from where I had lived. And he feels that the, I took this over to, to dogs because my mission became for people to be able to feel comfortable bringing in dogs with unconventional paths or learning how to understand and how to integrate them into our lives and to not be afraid of that. And until he told me that story, I never really connected and I never talked about my past because I didn't want it to be affiliated with my successful career and what I do and what I've done. I didn't want it to be the, which is funny because here I am saying that story first off the get-go, but it's because you asked. So I had no intention of doing that, but um, I think that he's right. I think it, it, I, I think it became my, my passion that people can learn that they can do this and that they can learn because a lot of dogs were given up in the adolescent stage or euthanized for behavioral reasons. I started to take in a lot of rescue dogs in the early 90s, getting back to your first point, taking in a lot of rescue dogs and just traveling in the States unintentionally in a bus and finding dogs. And I just felt that this isn't that difficult. This isn't it. Why are these dogs being surrendered and why are they being euthanized why are rescues, which rescues back then were a lot different than now, but why are they struggling? I had a, mm. I came back to the Toronto area in Toronto and I started a daycare and I only worked with dogs over the age of six months. I just gravitated to the dogs in that difficult or awkward stage. It was a very successful business. Toronto it was very uh, welcoming and the rescues were welcoming and I, I got the opportunity to help a lot of dogs that would have been euthanized and it grew from there but now that I've heard that story I feel that that became my mission just to understand dogs with a a different past and to understand why people were being challenged and to provide the solution more than anything so I spent my career creating my methodology that is geared specifically to adolescent dogs. They don't have to be adopted. They could come from a good home and people who started out well and they did everything right and with all good intentions. And then the dog hits that adolescent stage and it's like a guy at the party with a lampshade on his head. 
like, you know, like he's just all of a sudden <laughs> this idiot dog's like, what happened to my right. dog? <laughs> so it could be that dog, but they get given up a lot when standard techniques and techniques during puppyhood don't work anymore. People feel frustrated mm-hmm. or they feel like they're failing their dog and they're not. It's just you need to switch methods. So I created this method and that became my career. I mean, that's an intense beginning. I know. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't. That's, yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to wrap my head around it, but that's that's really No, don't I, I do people shame you for for that event or do people just say that's too it's too much or well, not a lot of people, people know it. Well, they do now, <laughs> but they I have, really, yeah, I, like they do now because of your show. But they don't. I've never really shared it a lot. A lot of people don't. I've moved a lot, so I have a lot of different friends and different people that I meet, and they wouldn't know. I'd, I've never really shared it. People from my childhood do. I don't share it right. on my podcast, but I found that people who knew it, they, they, they. It, I, I think he's right. They, and what he said, and, and uh, his name's Peter, and he he did have that guilt of not knowing what to say or how to, to, to treat someone with that. It's not that people were mean. I think people wanted the best for me. Lots of people did. Nobody shamed me. Nobody shamed me or nobody thought anything horrible or thought I was this bad person. They just didn't know where to place you or me. Okay. Or where to, you know, what do you, it's a big, they, I mean, it is a big responsibility to to bring in somebody else's child, but I just didn't want people to feel that way about dogs. And there's a way that we can do it. And there's, there's a way, and same with children and anyone with a disadvantaged past or they, they can, we just have to respect that they have their own way of thinking and they have their own history and their own experiences and they think what they think and they are who they are and just need to connect with them and relate to them. You do that yeah. on your podcast every time. You relate to people really well. I just teach people how to do well, it with you. dogs. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the reason why I was asking that question, because my experience has been that when I tell people tragic or life-changing events, usually it's, it's, well, I've had, I've had something happen to me, which was worse. And it's, oh, I'm not comparing, you know, I'm just letting yeah. you know my story. And and so it's, it's been point. hit or miss. Some people have been quite empathetic or sympathetic, or some people have not been, and which has been really odd why they haven't. I'm not looking to cry on anyone's shoulders. I'm I'm just looking to tell a story, you know, yeah, how to you relate. receive it. So I, I'm glad that people were receptive, you know. Well, I, I don't know how people feel. Some people feel how they how they process that is is their own way of processing and how they feel right. on that and whether they can bring that into something in their own world or their own life i mean everybody's different was was there a pet that said that changed your life was there a pet that just stuck with you and just said this is what i want to do this is some this is you're the reason why i'm in this you're you're the you're the, you're the one that, that I think about all the time. That's my soul nut, Chance. Her name's Chance. And she actually required zero training, <laughs> ironically, really? uh, as a behavior. And she's the only dog I've had from puppyhood. But she was the one where I realized this is 
and it was the early 90s and I was in, well, going from Texas to North Carolina in a renovated bus with my boyfriend at the time, which was really not that romantic, although it sounds like it should be, but it wasn't. <laughs> uh, but we had a number of dogs and this this guy had a number of dogs and very little money. And this man pulled over on the side of the road. We were out just letting all the dogs out for a pee break. He pulled over in his very expensive car with his very expensive suit. And he said that his wife's dog had just died of old age and looked exactly like Chance. And Chance Chance came from crap. She was I got her and I see, you know, that never, don't go into a shelter because you'll end up getting a dog. And and I did. And it was a really rundown shelter in Texas. And she had just come in and was laying on the cement and had tons of ticks and was about to die. And the, the guy running the shelter just said, yeah, yeah, you can have her. It doesn't matter. She's just going to die. I don't want her. And he was just eating his submarine sandwich. He didn't care. So I took her and I ended, she's the one I ended up having. And I've, I've rehomed hundreds of dogs. So I knew, and even before that, I had homed a number of dogs. So I knew I have this ability to home dogs. I don't, you know, some people foster fail all the time, which is great. They just keep the dogs. And but I, I love getting dogs their right home. I love putting them in where they're meant to be because not every dog wants the same home. You know, maybe, yeah, uh, yeah they, they're just like people. They like different lifestyles and different yeah, so they they should find their own home, but Chance just, you know, he he said, I really, back to this man, he said, I really want that dog. It would make my wife so happy, and it looks just, and, and you know, he was willing to, to pay a lot, and I just, there was something about her, and she looked at my, I don't know, she looked at me, and I'm sure she would have been very happy with him, but she became my sidekick for 13 years. She saw the dogs come and go, and she helped me with them, and she taught me a lot. All the dogs taught me a lot. I learned everything I know from the dogs. Right. Now, the, you went to – now, from this, how how this happened from your you, – you, so you started your own shelter, and you wanted to make sure that you were you were getting the ones that were about to be euthanized? I didn't really and have the a shelter. the ones that were behavioral? Yeah, I didn't really okay. have a shelter. We had 24 acres in North Carolina. Uh, that okay. dogs would come and stay on, but it wasn't really a, a, a structured shelter. It wasn't an intentional structured shelter. Probably nowadays it wouldn't even be legal. Who knows? People do what they do. It's not exactly the most right. regulated industry, <laughs> but I never took donations. I just used uh, my own money. So it wasn't there wasn't anything illegal about it, but there wasn't anything overly structured. Lots of dogs did come into that shelter. And then when he and I went separate ways, I brought a number of them up to Toronto. And that's when I started at daycare, walking and boarding out of my two-bedroom home in downtown Toronto. And that was before those professions were popular. They're really popular. And I think they're great for people to do. And they're great for dogs. People have very successful businesses with them. And, and I did in Toronto. I ended up selling it. But because I only took in dogs into that business that were over six months, I learned a lot about them. And I had clients who became clients for the the daycare or boarding and they became training clients. And then I just moved that way and gravitated that way. So I took in, I never had big property after that. I've never had kennels. I've never had structured shelter set up. It was just always in my home. 
I moved to a small town called Dundas, which is just outside Hamilton, Ontario. And I lived in a tiny 450 square foot home with a shared driveway. I wasn't popular with my neighbor. I had lots of dogs. The rescues would, the, the registered rescues would give me their dogs. So that was legal because it was under their umbrella. And then other people would just tie their dog to my doorstep and other people would hire me. Rescues would refer me so that they didn't have to take in dogs. People would call them and say, can you take my dog? I can't, can't deal with this. And they would say, no, just call Billy. So it worked for them too, because they never ended up having to see the dog. The people got to keep their dog and everything worked out well. And it just sort of moved along from there. I got a lot of unintentional press. Uh, bad from <laughs> the SPCA and I weren't exactly on great terms all the time because back then, you know, no. they they ruled the, that world. But I just did my own thing because it felt right and it's what I was doing. I didn't really realize I was entering into an industry that was unregulated and I didn't really think about it. But at some point, I knew I had to make that decision People were starting to hire me. So I had to make that decision. I have to figure out what I'm doing here. Why is what I'm doing different than what other trainers are doing? And why is it working? I start to, to connect with veterinarians and psychologists, talk to them about what I'm doing, and realized it's not grounded in conditioning methods. I know this isn't a dog show, so I won't get into it. But the standard methods are grounded in conditioning, whereas mine's grounded in cognitive behavioral therapy. But I learned that after... I learned what I do. <laughs> so it was backwards. Right. I, did, I didn't learn cognitive behavioral therapy and then apply it to dogs. I learned it from dogs and then structured it to, to be able to explain it to people. Because people were hiring me and it, it was working, but I knew I had to get a more, I'm not a formula type of person. I'm not rule oriented or structured. So I had to, I had to, uh, take that and put it into some kind of formula so I could more easily teach it to people and come up with some terminology. So that was interesting for me. And then once once I did that and I, I studied actually other dog training methods, just more so to see the difference because that's where my clients were coming from. They had all hired, like 98% of my clients have hired certified, really good trainers. It's just the method. They need to switch the method. And I had to understand that. Mm. I had to learn what they were doing and how dogs think and why it was successful with puppies, but not with dogs over six months and not so much with rescued dogs and dogs. A lot of the dogs I work with have come from the Korean meat market or the fighting rings or they've lived on the streets. I've gone down to Mexico and Costa Rica. I've taken in dogs from the Spanish um, hunting dogs. So you learn from all these different dogs how they think and learn differently. So I had to understand that. <laughs> I mean, like I said, you have really lived a life. My God, I mean, I'm this is this is incredible. It's like where to start. It's like uh, I feel, I feel like um, what do you call those things? Uh, um, God, it's like where you reach into the ball and you pick a number and like, oh, this is number 46. It's like there's so many layers about your life that's so interesting. It's like where to begin? Bingo. That's what it is, bingo. Bingo, bingo. yes. Um, so what what was the genesis of having to 
get in a van and go across the country and was it to, to rescue animals was it so that was a mission like you were no he was uh he was in british columbia which is where i was i had moved to british columbia and I, I mean i was working i i was doing regular jobs and and somewhat doing a whole lot of nothing and met him and he was from texas so we were going down to his home back to his family okay back to his home in Texas. And his mom and I are still really close. So they lived in a in a very, very tiny town. Like the, the only businesses were the gas station and the liquor store, which did very well on both behalves. <laughs> and that was, mm -hmm. so that, yeah, it just took, took in dogs as we were going down. He had a rescue dog and I had a rescue dog when we met. But it wasn't necessarily talked about. It just, became mm. and were there were there some memorable uh member some great memories and like what, what was the, the was there checks and balance with the, some some were not so great and some were fantastic or just yeah. got to the point where the good the bad was outweighing the good and you decided nah gonna go on from him yeah yeah he had his issues he went back home so but i mean i was young so not that you can't leave your partner when you're older, too. But I, I also, right. I never wanted children and maybe maybe in the back. I never, I don't ever recall any of the decisions at the time being like, this is a bad decision. <laughs> it probably was somewhat of a bad, I've certainly made my fair share of bad decisions. But I think I just decided, no, I want to go back to Toronto and I need to figure out what I'm doing here. And I wanted to work with animals. I actually applied at the Toronto Zoo, which is a major zoo. Now mm -hmm. I've learned I I I'm very opposed to zoos. I they did have their place and perhaps they do have their place in research, but I I'm vehemently opposed to animals living outside their natural environment and yeah. and being used. I agree. For I agree with you. My what what did it for me was um I I never really liked them, um, but it was just interesting to see the animal. And when I went to, I went on vacation in California with my ex-girlfriend, we went to the San Diego Zoo. We saw a polar bear there. And the polar bear was just going back and forth, back and forth. And it, it just wouldn't stop. It wasn't stopping. And, every, and, and it just kept going back and forth. It was so anxious. It was a really hot day. It's not used to that. And all it has is just this little pool to, to go around and to kind of cool off. And it, it, it was it was going crazy. And from that point on, it's just, I've never attended a zoo ever since. And Good for you. That was 1994, I think. Good for you. But it yeah, does. It takes something like that for people to, to think, wow, this isn't, this isn't something I want to condone. And so I, it's funny that you mentioned polar bears because I loved – the polar bears at the zoo, I would go in and clean there. I was very low ranking there. Uh, although I did work very closely with a veterinarian to figure out why animals weren't, like you said, being natural in their environment or why they were getting sick or why they weren't eating or procreating. I found that super interesting, really understanding mm -hmm. the natural behavior of animals and why they wouldn't do something, which is interesting because that's how I approach working with dogs. It's not a matter of training or obedience. It's if they're doing a behavior, there's a reason. So looking back on it, I think that did have an effect working with that veterinarian because she was really interesting the way that she 
she would but combine and holistically work with animals. It's not just the animal has to eat, let's get it to eat. But why isn't the animal eating? Or why is that polar bear pacing? Yeah. And I love the polar bears. I'd go in and they gave kisses and they were so friendly. I, I absolutely love them. But really? yeah, now I'm now I'm at the point that I tell the story about the zoo. For a long time I didn't because I was just so embarrassed that I worked and that I oh my God, I wanted that job so badly. But it is a part of what I did. And like you said, I mean, you learned that just from being a visitor. I I learned it from working there. It was terrible. <laughs> I mean, I would, in a way, it's like I, I would kind of like to go work in a zoo so I can be around these majestic animals. But, see, but at the same time, it's, they're caged. No, <laughs> I don't want to be around that either. You know, I want to be able to touch one and pet one and... You know, without them biting me, whatever. Uh, you know, except stay away from the zebras. But um, I heard <laughs> well, they you, were really nasty. So <laughs> I guess if you get a nasty one, but I think you could just yeah, go I mean, take a trip. Go, go kayaking is a wonderful way to Africa. see animals. Like kayaking is, if you kayak in the yeah. places or hiking, and I mean, yeah, I think you should. I th I, not you, just I think people should see animals in their natural environment. And if we can't because they're dangerous or hard to see, then, oh, well, too bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's there's no there's no reason like, we've we've understood the polar bear enough where we don't need to have it caged. No, it's not our right. Orcas, like if they're, yeah. yeah, it's not our right. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm a... I mean, most people think I'm a hypocrite because in one hand, it's like I'm a huge, huge animal rights activist. On the other hand, I agree with hunting. And uh, I mm. I wish we didn't have to hunt. But but unfortunately, like there's enough deer out there that the numbers need to go. Or get some wolves to be able to bring the numbers down. There would be a but, natural way to do it. Yeah, that could be another way. And people can justify yeah, anything. Yeah. People, people, tradition, sure. they can use tradition to justify so the bull fighting in Spain, they'll say, well, it's tradition and um, the bulls, you know, it's what they want to do and they want, it's it's not. What they do to those bulls prior to going in the ring is, it makes it look like, but they're escaping from torture that's happening just outside. And so they see the light and they run to it. But I mean, I, I'm a boxer. Yeah. Boxing is my favorite sport. But boxing, both people in the ring are consenting adults. They both know the score. They know the game. They like it. They know the sport. They're athletes. They're professionals. And they want to be there. That's not the same with a bull in a ring. Don't give me that fucking tradition bullshit. It's not tradition and the bull doesn't want to be there. So I don't think it's the same thing at all. But they can justify it with tradition. Yeah, I've got... In their own mind. I've got really good friends in Spain, and, and they agree as well. It's like that tradition needs to go away. It's 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 all BS. Yeah. It's total BS. It's another way of just you know just glorifying the way of slaughtering an animal, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Yeah, so and ego. You can look at his art and money. You want, but I think it's yeah. It's ego, money, yeah. tradition. But <laughs> you you are a boxing fan. Yeah, it's my favorite sport. It's so funny. I'll go for runs. I and I just shadow box everywhere, and I just love boxing. I think it's I, I used to, and I used to teach it, uh, and like coach it. You did a little it. bit of corner, uh, nice. yeah, and some coaching, and mm -hmm, I love it. I think it's the greatest sport. Well, you, you, you are my new best friend. You <laughs> are my new best friend ever. Yay. <laughs> you too. New best you friend. You too. That's awesome. Did you Did you watch the Canelo fight? Recently, 
We didn't yeah, get it here. Yeah, the kale plant fight. Oh, yes. I've watched... I never really watch them as they're happening. I don't have TV. Mm-hmm. That does so... Okay. And because of COVID, I used to just go to bars. I love watching bouts in bars. So before COVID, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. So I don't get them live, but I do get the reruns of them. And I do. And I also really like watching amateur. Yeah. I really like it. So There's I'm some not. good talent a, coming up. Yeah. There is some really good talent, but I'm not a stats person and I'm not a, I, I, I I'm more when I'm actually watching it, the body stance mm-hmm. and what they're doing and the skill set. Um, I like, I like all that, but yeah, there's, there's some very, and it came back, it kind of lost popularity for a while. And then, you know, as you said, there's, there's some of these good bouts and is that your, is that the boxer that you follow the most? Can I? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Okay. No, my, my, uh, my Puerto Rican family would not uh, speak to me if I was not a boxing fan. So oh, right. they love me, but <laughs> oh, Puerto Rican boxers are yeah, so, so amazing. Good for you. Yeah, that's so. That's yeah. that's yeah, your no, one. My eh? brother. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. My brother. My brother was a was an incredible, uh, talented fighter. He was a oh, very wow. talented fighter. Um, my cousin uh, Pedro. Uh, he's. He trains all the top fighters. He trained. He trained like Frankie Yeager. He like he's he's really well known as far as in the fighting community as somebody to go to if you really want to learn how to how to be a, a fantastic fighter. Wow, like we have to connect on this later. Teacher. Yeah, like we have to connect on this because I'd love. Wow, those people are amazing. Porter, yeah. Wow, yeah. you. Wow, now you're now you're my best friend. <laughs> I don't have a best friend that's not four legged <laughs> or three legged if, if that's how they come. Yeah. So right? <laughs> you're my new two legged best me. friend. I, that's awesome. Yeah. Now I've I've got the boxer nose. Right? I've got no yeah. no cartilage there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's best looking it's, noses uh, in the world. Yeah, I haven't taken them out. The, the, yeah, it's it's like I hadn't taken out the fourth fourth time it broke. So so you um, you've been one last boxing? question about oh, sure. boxing. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm t- I I bought I boxed like a Rocky Marciano with no skill. I was just more of a brawler. <laughs> so kind of like an egg <laughs> you know, beater. I just use my face to stop punching. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, I mean I could hit hard. I could hit really, really hard. I but it was like if I I would take two, I'd take one to give two. Okay. So that's Good not. For you. Yeah, if you if you want your brains uh, to not be scrambled by the time you're forty, you, you don't yeah. fight that way. So yeah, that's interesting. I, I was really a very defensive. Teachers, very defensive. So it didn't make for a lot of excitement. I, I was very hard to hit, very fast and defensive. And and so, you know, they don't always like those in the shows, right? It doesn't always so bring... So you fought. Yeah. Yeah. I started late with boxing. I started late. I was always, from about 16 on, I always really got into to cardio. I'm a total cardio junkie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I did the aerobics because, you know, what girl didn't in the 80s do the aerobics? <laughs> we all right. did. And that was that time. I yeah, mean, it was that time. It was a Jimmy Lee Curtis. Yeah. And everybody was doing like what, Tybo and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Kickboxing and it came later. But yeah, so we were all doing the aerobics and that kind of thing. And I just wanted a different cardio. I wanted a super high cardio sport. So I just took uh, – boxing lessons without the intention of actually boxing because at that point I was yeah pretty pretty little quite a bit older at that point Mm -hmm. somewhere around 30s Mm -hmm. so I certainly didn't 
enter into that whole circuit on a high level, but you know, I did, I enjoyed it, but then I moved quicker over to coaching. Yeah. Yeah, Like you said, having your brain not scrambled is a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I had to go through a lot of, I just spent a lot of years having to deal with TBI and had no idea until I got it cured. And, um, for the first time in my life, I, they go, this is what life is like when your brain isn't on fire. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty, I, I dealt with TBI for years. Yeah. It was, it was wow, not that's fun. crazy. No. It was not fun. By Good for you. Wow. Yeah. You're, you're an incredible but, guy. That that family history. <laughs> wow, that's cool. I, I mean, if I if I didn't have the cure, I wouldn't be doing this. You know, I, eh? I really, it was just ADD like crazy. Like I, I, I think a lot of I think a lot of what's, what troubles a lot of people out there is that there's so many people who suffer from TBI don't don't really un, don't realize it until much later. I didn't think I did either until I got cured and it's like oh my god this is the brain is not meant to be on fire this is weird. So is that <laughs> so, is that from getting well, a concussion? Qu- what is that from getting a concussion? I don't know exactly. I've had a lot that, of concussions. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had. I had a doctor do a brain scan. And he said, "Were you professional boxer?" I said, "No, I used to box." He said, "Man, you've got a lot of, a lot of scarring, quite a bit." So yeah, that's tough. Um, eh? So what does TBI stand for? Uh, traumatic brain injury. Traumatic brain injury. Okay. Yeah, I dated a guy yeah. who was a brain so, surgeon. He didn't. He was not impressed that I boxed. That didn't last long. Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> did he did he say goodbye because because he found a good boxer or I I took a bye actually yeah I uh, really? well he was never okay. really impressed by it it was very very uh, introductory dating so it wasn't a big deal oh, just I didn't see. there were a number of things but yeah yeah but one last question about boxing and then we'll move on <laughs> who do you think won the fight Canelo or Mayweather oh. Well, I'm talking to you, so I have to say Canelo, don't I? <laughs> I want you to still be my best friend. No, I'm kidding. I would never do that. I always say it like it is. I always say it like it is. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. What's, what's your opinion on it? Go ahead. No, because there's two things that you have that are absolutely you're my best friend. One, you love animals, and two, you love boxing. So anything you say at this point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think you're the best person <laughs> in the world. So, so uh Man, I'd have to have a full-on discussion over that one, I think. This is where I just, this is so me. I'm just, it's funny the stuff I remember and the stuff I forget. And as I go through life, it's it's funny. I've traveled to places and, you know, I'll try to do Jeopardy. And it was like, oh, I lived there. Oh, I know that stat. Oh, I know that. <laughs> and I'm just the worst for memory. I, I remember large sure. concepts. It's funny when I think back on things because I remember where I watched that. It's so funny. That's how I am. And people who know me really well, which there's very few people who do, will say that they're not surprised that I'll forget like the simplest things. I think our brain gets too stuffed with things and we get too worried. I would say I'm a self-absorbed person. I'm not selfish, but I'm self-absorbed. I'm very what I'm in and... What's important to me at that moment and what's Im- what's important and it's almost always uh, animal related or somebody doing something that they shouldn't in regards to animal or having a mission on that. And I'm just self-absorbed in that and, and my book and my podcast and 
and spreading awareness and then other stuff is kind of what I'm doing in that moment, but then it's gone. I've never really thought about myself that way, but people, people, yeah, people who know me really well are like the funniest things I just. I don't know. I don't think that's self-absorbed. I mean, you have, you have a mission in life. You have a mission that you want to bring awareness to animals and to people and understanding and, and how they behave. And therefore you're not triggered by what they do and taking it. No, I, if that makes you selfish, then I'm the most selfish person in the world because I, I want to. I want the world to meet interesting people so they can have a greater understanding about life itself. So, you know, if that's selfish, I'm selfish. Um, but I, I think that I think well, I think what we now have to do nowadays because of what we've been taught for over the years, we have to re re how can we say this? How can I say this? Um we label things of what's healthy, selfish, and what's like what's yes. selfish. I mean, nobody yes. wants to be a narcissist because I mean you know, if you want to be a narcissist, you're going to be very much alone. I know your future because narcissists love to have certainty. So I, my certainty needs are I need to get up in the morning, have my couple glasses of water. And other people, their certainty is like how valued I am on in Instagram or whatever else. And that's fine. You know, it is very independent. Self-centered. Yeah. yeah, it's very self-centered about what people, you know, I, I need everyone to be, a, to love me. It's like, no, I don't. No. You know, be nice. <laughs> no. That shouldn't be a goal. That shouldn't be a goal. And it it is interesting because we're watching about, you know, what's important to, you know, going to the moon or how wealthy billionaires use their money or getting a, creating a plane that can take us across the continent in a fourth of the the time that it could. I I, I just don't find stuff like that important. I, I think, and it's just, but people just have in their heart what is important to them or in their head and what that's driven by. Sometimes it's money. And mm-hmm. so they have to sit back and think, what is that driven by? But anyway, that's a bit off topic. But yeah, I think self-absorbed is is needed in order to accomplish goals. Selfish is mm-hmm. very what one person would think is selfish, another isn't. I've never wanted kids. And for the age, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. So back when I knew I didn't want kids, which was forever... I've never wanted to have them. So people obviously back then that was a little, a little radical, not hugely radical, but a little, it was a little Mm -hmm. different uh, for people that, you know, in your twenties to just know so definitely Mm -hmm. that you don't, some people would think that's selfish. Some people would think it's selfish mm. to spend your whole life raising your kids and not doing anything else except being a good parent. Is being a good parent selfish? I mean, the idea of selfish, I think, comes from the reason why you're doing something. Does it come from a good place or does it come from a selfish place? Exactly. What's the reason behind it? Yeah. Exactly. What's the intent? Because you can, you can, your intention could be to bring awareness to a, um, a lot of dogs you know, about the dog behavior, but at the same time, you have this need to control and certainty, and you could be exacting that on, on other dogs and people and stuff. So, yeah, what's what's the intent? Yeah, yeah. and I'm really laid back in my industry. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not part of like a huge part of the industry. It's very rural oriented and uptight. There's some trainers that I get along with well, and they're really laid back, but for the most part. I just haven't had the same learning journey and haven't had the same reason why I do what I do and haven't had the same 
uh, career path or the same goals. So it's not that we don't get along. It's just, it's a very, uh, it's interesting because I'm <laughs> like, like that. I'm just a hippie by nature and I'm not rule oriented. And I just, I just feel if people are doing what they need to do and doing well and doing, doing good in the world, then they don't need my opinion of them. And I'm like that as a exactly. dog trainer. Right. I, I I don't tell my clients how they have to live their life with their dog. I don't tell them whether the dog can be on the couch or not on the couch. I don't care. I just have them tell me what they what they need addressed, and I help them. It gets done. Yeah, and yeah. it gets done. I mean, you kind of remind me of my. Uh, there's a, there's a, a friend of well, somebody I met who I who made a huge impression on me. Uh, like I think about her at least once a week. And I met her eight years ago. Um, it's I, God, I wish I can share the name and location. I'll do my best to try not to, but at the same time, tell a really good story. Um, <laughs> so deep. right off the coast of one of the Central American, because I saw in your bio, like Costa Rica, and that, that's, that just, I got to get to that later on as well. Um, one of the islands off the Latin, uh, the, well, the Central American coast, one of the um, countries there, there's this island where this woman who made a major, major discovery, which propelled us, you know, into the future for, for quite some time. Hmm. And as a result of this discovery, she is quite well known for it and basically got her got enough money to have her own island. Wow. So on this island, her house is beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. She 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 takes care of a bunch of animals there. So uh -huh. she heard that there was somebody that was going around and stealing a rare lizard or something like that. That was illegal to do. Okay. That was illegal. Um, and so she heard about it. Went to this person, slipped a Mickey in his, I think that's the word. Like, like That's what my parents just say, Mickey, or, or like, a, like a drink, something in the drink. Uh, and the person passed out. The person woke, and again, this is rumor, hearsay. Don't know for sure. Sounds the like a great story. Person passed out, woke up with one of his testicles removed. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm all for yeah. that. <laughs> See, that's yeah, that's what I mean. I think I think you two are like separated at birth. You're yeah, friends. I would and, totally and you know do what? That. I kind of agree the same thing. I do. I would do the same thing. I would do the same thing. If you can't respect life, it's like there's a part of you that needs to be sacrificed. Yeah, and yeah. I'd open Finger all the cages and let all the lizards go and yeah, yeah, let them all go and yeah, yeah, you gotta gotta do what you gotta do. And that that Because that, we're just caretakers here. We're yeah. not a, it's not about alpha crap, it's not beta no. crap, we're caretakers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Yeah, I'm glad, glad she did that. She sounds awesome. You. No, no, I love that story. That's great. Yeah. It, it's a it's a tough yeah. one in the in the rescue world because it's a matter of just getting the dog and doing what we can do. And sometimes, uh, you know, well, not sometimes, but on a regular basis, the thought of cutting off the testicle is yeah. right there in front of the brain. But sometimes it's just a matter of getting the dog, getting it out of the situation and giving, you know, giving it what it needs physically, health, veterinarian care, and then behavioral wise, and then getting the dog in the home. And you just then do it all over again. So knowing that you are deeply passionate about animals, and, and by the way, when you said you're in your 50s, it's like, yeah, right, I want to see some ID. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, clearly cardio 
this is the way to go if you want to look young. I mean, incredibly young. Um, Drink lots. So how did you deal with being in the business and, and hearing and seeing cruelty? How did you learn how to deal with that aggression? Because I know when I hear about it, I want to tear down a house. Yeah, wow. Big topic, eh? It is a big, that's a big topic. I, I am a little... I did start all this from animal advocacy as as yourself with what you do, but I, in becoming a behaviorist, I feel like I do help. My, my goal is to decrease behavioral euthanasia, which I do on a daily basis, but it does get even frustrating when the people that are intending to do good things and they are, and they'll close away solutions. That's almost as frustrating. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. It's not almost, they, yeah, animal abusers are, yeah, that's got to stop. It, laws have got to be changed. One of my goal, I what I wanted to be was a lawyer, an animal rights lawyer, and I'd still like to be a little bit, getting a little bit old for that, but I would still like to be because I think they can accomplish a lot. Laws need to be changed mm. and they need to be enacted and enforced. That And that's starting to come around which is good in some countries, which is good. That's what I would like. I, my goal is to spread awareness on cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs so that it can just be out there in mainstream dog behavior. And then I can move forward. I don't, I'm not, like you said, the whole social media, I started it so late. It was never important to me. I never needed it. I had a successful business with hundreds of clients a year just on referral and veterinarian referral and referral from rescues. I, so I don't have a huge social media following. So I'm looking to uh, collaborate with experts and industry experts to spread, to learn cognitive behavioral therapy and to share it. And then I can move on to doing what I actually really want to do, which is more on the mm. animal advocacy. So again, it wasn't really planned. It just it just became what I do. And I think that the way anybody, well, I shouldn't say that, but can, can, and some, well, a lot of times I don't sleep at night, but people can get through it is knowing that you are helping whatever level that is. Mm -hmm. So whether not everybody has to take in dogs, not everybody has to rescue dogs, but there could be other ways that people can help. And that could just simply be spreading awareness, connecting, collaborating, donating, um, sharing, or, or there's lots of rescue organizations that need the behind the scenes. You don't always have to be, or any animal, any animal, there's groups. And I just think that is a way that people learn to, and some people just, they, they don't want to see it, but they care. They want to help, but they don't necessarily want to see it. It is, it is tough seeing it. It is, it is tough when I go to the countries or getting in the dogs. I don't do as much rescue anymore as I used to, but I voluntarily go down and immerse myself into the places where there are rescues. So you see it hands-on and every day is different. You wake up and you don't, you don't know. But as far as what's really beginning to piss me off is the just not even cultures, just 
your well-bred university student abusing an animal just to put it on social media or just for fun. Like it, and mm. then, and then nothing happens to them because they're from some family that they're going to some university that doesn't want to have that reputation. Those people need to get their shit together. That's, there is no, there's no excuse for it on anybody, but that's, that's pissing me off. They, they say that people who abuse animals, there's no hope for them. Have you, have you found that that's not the case, that people were abusive and then they turned around and became great advocates for animals? Or Well, I'm, I don't rehab people. <laughs> people <laughs> my clients will yeah. often say to me, oh, I can use this on my kids. Yep, you can. Or, hey, can, do you train husbands? No. <laughs> no, I don't. And I don't, yeah. I don't rehab people. I have, I have worked with social workers. And I have worked with uh, a particularly interesting woman who had a, a social work at a university and she took the dogs. She headed the program where they took the dogs from the shelter into the prison and the prisoners mm -hmm. worked with the dogs. So that was really interesting. I think people can be rehabbed. I think that it needs to be taken more seriously when people abuse animals, whether or not they can be rehabbed, but I think they need I think it needs to be taken a lot more seriously because they're they're most likely going down a bad road. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get any better. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up with a, a family that was not nice to animals, and it was it was very tough to watch. It was very tough to be around. They 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 they, they saw them as just tools for tools for the environment. We we have a we have a uh, we had a raccoon problem, so let's get a dog to chase them off. We had a rat problem, so let's get a cat to chase them off. But other than that, it was you know when they meow and or, or bark to get food, it was like get away from me. You know that's usually uh, how they did that. I mean, and I know it's a lack of education. You're so right. how do you how do you I train see. a dog to be with somebody who is completely uneducated? Oh, I don't think level of education has to do with their ability to read and understand and be kind to dogs. It's interesting right. your your point, what you were saying about your family, because that is just, they were solving, they were using animals to solve a problem. Other people might say, well, right. you know, other people would put down traps where the, the animals are just on those sticky piece of paper and they end up starving and dehydrating to death. So are those people any worse or better? It's just a it's how people choose to solve a problem because they're infested. Right. For example, the example you used with mice or raccoons. That's that's an interesting. I think that probably did affect you as a child and probably did make you want to be kinder to animals and understand them better and how they all work with each other and symbiotically. But the the ki the kids I was talking about is the ones who intentionally. Uh, you know, put a firecracker in a dog's mouth and, and tape it up, tape the mouth shut, and then put it on social media. To me, that's a lot different than what your family did. It just is, it just yeah. is different. Very different. Wow. I mean, you just telling me that I just want to go out there and just hurt this person. Yeah. I want to do the same thing. You know, I, I, I do. I yeah, do. I want to yeah. take an M80, put it in this person's mouth, and see. Like, how do you how do you like it? Yeah, 
you know, I, I know that comes from pain. I know a lot of people like that. And it's like, I know that they hurt. So they want to have hurt animals to make them feel like that. But at the same time, it's, that's one step away from being, you know, a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. It just doesn't seem to have any relationship with wealth or education. It's, it's just purely being a narcissistic asshole. Wow. I just feel like I just got hit by Canelo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't yeah. be fun. Um, so I think yeah. that I, th I would just like to see the industry be more open-minded to solutions and people who have the ability to spread awareness and make solutions. And, uh, you know, you take someone like Ricky Gervais, who I, 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 I have to say, I don't follow people. I don't follow. I've never been a follower of TV and celebrities and movie stars and stuff, but, you know, he's taking his, popularity and using it for good he he does a lot of good for animals mm. he changes mindsets and he's and he's fun and he drinks beer and he's got a cool dog he lets his dog on his couch like he's just a, to me he's just i know people don't like this and that about him but he's he's using his uh, presence and celebrity status yeah. I, I think he's using it well i think he's <laughs> And I have roots back where he comes from, where he lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. You, you uh, I just, you I connect a lot with him. He doesn't have kids. And he, the, the area that he's from in the UK is, it, yeah, I have yeah. relatives there. And, you know, we drink the same beer. And his view on dogs and living with dogs, he's just free-spirited that way. I just, and I think he's doing a lot for the dog world. And I think if everybody just had, it doesn't have to be my passion, his happens to be, but if everybody who had the ability to help just had a passion, had a mission, had a passion, had something, didn't even have to be as extensive as, as advocates. But if you just had something that was important to you and, and, and used whatever skill set that you have to help that, everybody would be I think that would be a good rehab for a lot of people that are lost or doing mean, bad things. Just, I mean, it's easy for me to say, get something good to do, go do it. It sounds kind of like Little Miss America saying, oh, mm -hmm. I hope everybody's happy and the world is fine, <laughs> which is not me at all. <laughs> I'm a realist. Yeah, right. But I do think right. that there's a lot of people that have the opportunity to do a lot more than they're doing, including myself. We all, we yeah. all can do more. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I had Ricky Gervais's, uh, uh, dare I say, cachet, uh, I, I would definitely would be speaking out for animals a heck of a lot more than I am right now, for sure. Yeah. You know, that's what I loved about Bob Barker before, yeah. before he was retired and yeah. passed on. Yeah, you know, spay new to your pets. That's yeah. it. It's a constant reminder, spay new to your pets. Yeah, that's and crazy. Make, eh? that, that was forever ago. Yeah. Yeah. And he was saying yeah, it back only, then. Like maybe that person needed to hear that. What was I going to do? Oh, yeah. I need to spare new to my pet. That helps. Yes. Yeah. That, that, and there is the prime example of what I was saying. That, that, I know. It's so funny. Bob Barker. And you think back on that. And he was saying spay and neuter way back then. He's what? Almost 100. Is yeah. he almost 100? 
And there's still a so. problem with spay and yeah. neuter. <laughs> yeah. You know? But then and Ricky that, Gervais is saying all that. that tradition. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Drew Carey. Drew Carey. Drew Carey. Yeah. 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 His person now. Yeah. So, he still yeah, continues so, the tradition. Yeah. I um, I I know that some something irritating because then we're going to go back to something more more pleasant. Um, <laughs> the Korean meat market. You had mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Is that every every city that has that, or is that just only in Korea? Oh, there's there's it's I call it that just because the dogs I've worked with because the rescue org in my area brings them up from a certain place because she live down there and has connections with rescue orgs down there. So that's just my experience. There are people that are far more knowledgeable on it than I am. I've just worked with some of the dogs that have come up from there. And I think it's wrong and it's horrible. And there's there's definitely animal advocacy groups and there's great rescue organizations there. And there's people that risk their lives. They'll just go in and cut those nets down and the dogs all run free. It's, it's crazy really? there. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy there. Wow. There's people doing really good things. There's lots of people doing really good things. There's people that kick ass in the animal advocacy world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, somebody asked yeah. me, so if, if, uh, somebody who went to um, this really interesting discussion, she was, she was my girlfriend at the time. Now she's my best friend who knows everything about me, all my dirty secrets, and she's still my friend. So, I have I have that boyfriend, that ex-boyfriend. Uh, I have that guy. Oh, you do you? I have that equivalent. Yes. Is this? Do you have a? Is this the van guy or the brain no. surgeon? No, the no, brain surgeon didn't work. Yeah, no. brain surgeons okay. just yeah, every so okay. often we'll talk. I have I have yeah a lot of exes. <laughs> That's all different. But I tend to be friends with all of them. I, I tend to. There's very few that I'm not. Yeah. But no, this one is exactly like yours, and people think. You know, there's no way you could still be friends and that close of friends and not be together. It's like, yeah, it it is. It's true. You, you can do it. Yeah, I'm be- I'm great friends with her husband. Her husband's an yeah. amazing guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a very good friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 such a sweetheart. He is such a sweet sweet guy. You see yeah. him with an animal, and you can't help but fall in love with him. Ah. No, he's a, he's a good looking dude. He's, he <laughs> looks like um, Hugh Jackman. Oh yeah, um, okay. he's a good-looking dude, and he's he's fit. He's just kind man, and uh, yeah. So like, we for me not to get along with him, I, something really off about me. And you but, want yeah, her to be with somebody sweetheart. good. They, you you want oh, that absolutely. for her? And she yeah. she is. Yeah, they're both Mr. and Mrs. Doctor Doolittle. So <laughs> that's awesome. I love they really them already. They, they're just. I love them they, already. When when That's we lived good. together in Philadelphia, she would get so mad at me because I would spend a huge chunk of my time going from different parts in the city, rescuing all kinds of cats. Mm. I'd find baby cats that were covered in fleas, put them in the bathtub, <sighs> get them off, and then you know, find them homes and stuff like that. Oh, but, good yeah, for I'd, you. She'd get I mad at cats. me. This is Mrs. Doolittle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, I, I, I know some people don't, but it's... I love all animals. I love all animals. I, love I know people are funny. They think I don't like cats because I'm, it's just, I mean, nobody, I can't really be, uh, people aren't going to hire me to, hey, there are cat trainers. This is not what I gravi- gravitated to. It, it's probably less busy of a profession. I can't be a polar bear trainer because 
people should have known polar bears or be trying to train them. <laughs> if they're trying to train a polar bear, that's a bad thing. So, so yeah. it's dogs. But I, I was it. just adopted by a cat, uh, a street, a cat that was sort of in the neighborhood and had a really crappy, shitty home that they didn't let her in in the winter and they didn't care for her. So she picked um, this little happy family that we live in. So she's now part of our family. Nice. Yeah, I love it. It's cool having a cat around. She's I've had her for maybe a month or two now. She's cute. named her Friday. She's cool. It's cool <laughs> having a cat around. They're yeah. really different. They are. They definitely are. I, I, I mean, I, I want to get settled at some point where I can have a cat and a dog. But I also want to be a falconer as well. So <gasps> That is so cool. Yeah, that's good for yeah. you. That's a really interesting yeah. skill. Yeah, because I, I went to, um, it, was, it was a belated birthday present. It was in October. I went to a place in uh, in southern New York called uh, Falconry Excursions. And this guy, he's been studying it ever since he was a kid ah. because his father was into it and he passed on the knowledge. So he showed us a few things and I fell in love. I absolutely fell in love. Yeah, um, it is just really these, cool. These things are so majestic. That's just there's so, I'm going to post it on my YouTube channel. I'm going to get all the videos together and probably have it up by the end of this week um, or next week. But just so beautiful, so beautiful. And you think with all the all the feathers on them, they're huge. But that one owl he had, you can just take your finger and just most of your most of your pointer finger will just disappear. You know, it's just so much feather. But then he brought out a black eagle. Oh my god. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah, amazing. they're majestic so and I'm, they're smart. I, and Yeah, I don't know a lot about birds, yeah. but I, I really am intrigued by that skill. I guess it's a profession as well. Yeah, so if cool. you had to describe heaven on earth, what would it look like? Would it, would it be a huge track of land with all the animals you want and birds? And like, what would heaven on earth be? Owning that island would be good. <laughs> <laughs> having an island <laughs> having an island with yeah well i mean that's a loaded question especially now but if i were to yeah i think just a place that yeah that animals could live in their own environment and be free yeah do their thing now, how close did you come to living in America and then making it your permanent state, permanent place to go? Like, how was it very close or like having dual citizenship? Was that something you wanted or? I'm not sure I really thought about it at the time. I was just kind of there. I've never, I think the States has beautiful geography. I did a lot of rock climbing when I was younger in the States as well, in New Mexico. I like the West Coast, Oregon and California. I, I, I like the States, like the geography. Never really. I like Canada just because I'm from here and it's comfortable for me. So profession-wise, I guess to be able to legally work, et cetera, which I've always had to do, which is fine. It just seemed easier to come mm. to Canada. But no, I like the States. Where are you? I'm in upstate New York. So I'm oh. very close to Albany, about an hour away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, huh. I grew up, uh, I grew up in Albany area. Oh, yeah. So now I'm, I'm back after 50 something years. So, so you're not that <laughs> well, far from Toronto. Never really. thought I'd see this day. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no. I love Toronto. I love Toronto is one of my favorite cities. Yeah, I love Toronto. Yeah. It's a great people, city. People, I, why do you like it? So we'll, we'll compare notes. How, how can you like it? <laughs> I guess I'm a, it, it's a comfort zone because I used to go there as as a rebel teenager or tweenager. I used to pop into Toronto it was sort of my stomping ground and I like going back there. It's comfortable for me. I know, I know it, but it's also, it's vibrant. It's multicultural. It's cosmopolitan. I, I just, I like that. I think it's, it's great. I, before COVID, I went back on a regular basis. I have been to New York, but not for a long, long time. And I love that city too. I love big cities. I do. People think because of what I do, I would be a country girl, but I don't. I live, I like, I like urban environments. Where I'm living now is probably mm. one of my smallest cities I've lived in. It's more like a big town. It's very flat in Saskatchewan. Mm. You can watch your dog run away for five days straight. Still see your dog. It's like so flat. <laughs> it's, it's the prairies, right? The prairies. It's like, whoosh, right, right. You know, it's kind of the joke, but right. yeah, no, now, I like it, big cities. Is it susceptible? Is it susceptible to tornadoes up in that area, or, or do you get heavy really winds. big snowstorms? We get heavy winds. We get lots of snow. It can get to minus yeah. forty. It is is happens in the winter on a regular basis. Yeah, seven minute frostbite warnings. Yep, it can get really really cold. Lots of lots of, but it's so sunny. It's so sunny here all the. I love the sun. I love the sun. So it's it's a bit of a. You, you, It just said minus 40. <laughs> it gets to minus 50 with the wind chill. When the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are football play, you know, everyone's out and it's like, I remember the first year I moved here, which was eight years ago. They were in the finals and, oh yeah, we got up to minus 50 or down to minus 50, I guess, with the wind chill and everybody's outside in the street drinking. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it's hardcore. It's pretty funny. Well, it's it's not funny. It sucks a lot. It takes you like half an hour to get ready to go for a five minute walk with your dog. <laughs> uh, I, I I think that I think my Scottish side would love it, but I but I know my Puerto Rican side would not love it one bit. No, I'd rather be in Puerto Rico. <laughs> I like the heat. I like the heat. I like the sun. I do. But I yeah. it's you know the West Coast in Canada is warmer. It doesn't get the cold temperatures, but it's it it can be sunny. I mean, with climate change and everything else it's so all over the map but it's really sunny in saskatchewan now speaking of climate change have you witnessed the the changing climate from where you are because i know when i was a kid it used to the winters would definitely get below zero quite a bit and it would get like the winters around november december would be in the 20s and the, and the teens and then the, the minus and that kind of thing but have you witnessed global global change in from where you are Mm-hmm. And you get flooding. Yeah. Yeah, there's changes that way. And if it doesn't get as cold. And, and also, of course, me, I always go back to the animals. So they change what they do. And if there's places in Canada where it it hasn't frozen in the winter, where it would normally go below zero and it hasn't, and then uh, you're going to get more of a problem with animals that were, I guess, 
along the lines of ticks and fleas and, and those sort of insects that would die off in the winter and they don't, you can, there's lots of effects that it has when it doesn't go below zero in Canada in places that it normally would. So that's just one example of, of many things. You'd get runoffs and lots of flooding where normally it would freeze. Is that the kind of thing that you meant? Hmm. Stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's yeah, it's strange to watch what's going on. It's it's just. I mean, I I believe in weather change. I believe that we're we're changing. The weather's you know the the world changes no matter what we're gonna do. But I mean, yeah, it's pretty pretty difficult. Um, but I need to uh, get back to a few things. And <laughs> sure. that is You were saying about uh, behavior. Now I had a dog named Oso. Oh, bear. And hopefully that's bear in Spanish, I'm right? Sorry? That's bear in Spanish. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Huge dog. It was yeah, a half figured. shepherd, half Great Dane. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was immense. Um, rescued it from Santorini, Greece. Uh, oh, you cool. know, there's plenty of dogs to rescue. Why I chose that dog from Greece, I have no idea. But good for you. I know because I loved it. Yeah. Um, and so it was a great dog to have, and even for the size and everything, it's a great dog to have. Uh, when I go to work, I, because I had a separation anxiety, I, I would put it in the doggy daycare. Did really well in doggy daycare. But one day coming back from doggy daycare, the dog completely changed. It, it, it got to the point where I'd take it to the dog park and have it uh, play with the other dogs. And it actually got more aggressive. And it got to the point where I actually had to put a muzzle on the, the, the dog. Um, and then everyone kept saying, this one dog trainer, she's the best, she's the best, she's the best. And was charging somewhere north like $150 an hour for behavioral specialty. And she had no idea what she was doing. None. <laughs> so I, I'm yeah. I'm at a loss here. Like, what do I do? What do I do? Because this dog went from being very playful and kind and everything to being this dog that could that can potentially harm other dogs because it's size and it's everything. And it just became this, this dog to the point where like, it wouldn't. It, it started attacking other people, which it would never did. So I, I don't know what happened. Do you, do you? Can you? I still don't have a, an explanation, but like I, I still don't know what happened. Okay. Did, did something was, happen? Was Oso two or six at the time that this change happened, or neither? How old was Oso? Oh, just under a year. Oh, just under a year. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's the that's quintessential what I get for a client. So what happened was the trainer okay. that you hired was using conditioning methods. So probably some kind of positive reinforcement like a treat or something. And that's effective under yeah. six months. And it can be effective over six months. It can be. It, I mean, it's proven successful. Uh, but uh, when you get that adolescent stage, and when I say adolescent, I should clarify that. That's usually change in behavior happens between six and eight months. And then people mm -hmm. kind of start noticing it around eight or nine, or then it develops. I mean, that's the most common time that dogs go to shelters or uh, that people are starting to feel challenged. So that would be a common change in behavior. And that's when people, that's mm -hmm. when the light bulb, that's when it should be common, common in mainstream dog training for people to switch to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is what I've created and designed but if I'm sure that trainer is extremely good at conditioning methods, it just wasn't 
conditioning methods wouldn't address that. Possibly counter conditioning or classical conditioning, but it still takes the approach of reinforcements and associative desensitization. That that is just super common for what I would deal with. It's kind of it's it's just like <laughs> there's a couple examples. I mean, you can. It's it's like people maturing and changing. They don't want to go to the same bar that they went to when they were 19 is when they're 40. So you could view it that way, his perception of the dog park, maybe his perception of the dogs there. Just mm. what he's, it's all about the dog's perception and that's what you have to deal with. So if, and that's what we have to work with and we can't just tell the dog that he can't feel the way he feels mm. and he, we can't tell him that he's he has to like really everything that he's doing and he's allowed to change his opinion. But on the same note, oh. Did you lose me? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, the wonder, the, the beauty about technology is like I can talk to you, you know, at this point right now and have a great conversation. And um, but that's at the mercy of the techno, somebody else. The techno so. lords. Yes. Techno lords. Thank you. That's a good, good way to put it. Uh, so let's see. Um, uh, oh, um, so we were talking about my dog also and how it just behaved after a year and the traditional way of the traditional way of doing things is the treat reaction, treat reaction. But you say there's a cognitive way of doing things with 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 uh, with pets and animals. So what would that be? What 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 would be how would you tr how would you have trained my dog Um to not attack other dogs and like what, what would be the behavior things that you would look well, for? I mean, I obviously can't train a dog on a podcast, but the difference between conditioning methods is conditioning methods are designed to teach right from wrong. So they use reinforcements. However, that trainer does that. They're all different, but they'll, and some only use positive and some are balanced. And there's, there's a whole world out there on that. But so it's designed to, encourage wanted behavior and discourage unwanted behavior. Cognitive behavioral therapy is designed to change perception, to change behavior. So you can think mm. of it with um, all sorts of things. You can think of it when rehabilitating a criminal or nutrition, health-related phobias. They use it for all sorts of things. So it's a different approach and the approach teaches skills outside the negative situation or scary situation or whatever it happens to be to change the mindset. Mm -hmm. And then what's really important with dogs is to change the mindset of the owner's ability to manage a situation and to understand them and get that bond. And that is not done at all through reinforcements. It can be, it can be during puppyhood. So it's not saying that other methods are not bonding. It's just a different type of bond because we're harnessing their cognitive skills. What happens when dogs get six, seven, eight months old, their cognitive skills kick in. They have those at puppy. So they have memory and they can think and they can work things through to a certain extent. Normally when they do that, it works in our favor. When they start getting older, just like with kids, sometimes they start to question things wonder why they're going to do something. Do they have to like something? Do they have to wear something? Do they have to share? Do they, what happens if they don't? What if I don't want to? What happens? So they start to, so we as uh, people with children or parents, I guess that's called parenting, they would 
just switch the way that they parent. They're still their same parent and they're still the same family, but they switch the way that they're working with that child more to harness those skills, to give them options, to give them better ways of thinking, to allow them to work things through. And so they're not necessarily working with them in that moment to encourage or discourage a behavior. They're building skills outside. So those that's why my methodology, which is called Upward Methodology, it stands for Urban People with Adopted and Rescued Dogs, Upward. That's why it follows cognitive behavioral therapy, because there's principles that CBT follows, and my methodology adheres to those principles as opposed to conditioning. So again, one's not better than the other. But based on what you're telling me about Oso, we would change his perception of his need to do that behavior in the park to achieve his goal. And if he ends up telling us he just doesn't even want to go to the park, as a as a dog caregiver, you would, well, my clients do all sorts of things. Sometimes they just, okay, we won't go. Other times, well, you know, I have two other dogs that want to go. So then we work with the dog more in the park so that the option isn't to nail the other dog's ass. It's to go off on their own. Just like people, we might not want to be at a dinner party, but we can't run around beating everybody up and we have to manage ourselves. So it really depends on the situation and the dog and my client. But the dog has to know that they have options and know that they can think for themselves and make those decisions, which is not what happens under the age of six months as much or to the same extent. Mm. Now, I I might have been cruel for doing this. I don't know. Again, it's all about awareness and stuff. But um, I was a dog walker when I lived in New York City. Oh, cool. It was one of my one of my many jobs I had. Oh, cool. Uh, and it was fun. I had a couple of favorites that were just, I still miss them to this day. Um, but the one dog, Elaine, <laughs> uh, Golden Doodle, <laughs> energy, strength, strength of a human being, playfulness as a kid. And I think the dog was like maybe three years old, but well, well behaved, well behaved, sit, stay, everything. However, Elaine loved to chase squirrels. Mm. Loved. Loved to chase squirrels. How, and, and, the, and I would get it to the point where the dog wouldn't bite the squirrel, but I would go after the squirrel. Mm-hmm. And it would, just, it would kind of be its treat. Like, okay, stay here. Sorry, stay here. Don't do this. Don't do that. But its treat would be to go chase a squirrel, and we would go chase it. Now, was I instilling a bad behavior, or was that's, that's just what they do? I always, my clients always, because there's so many rules in the dog world now. Everybody's got a rule. Every trainer's got a rule. When my clients ask me, should or shouldn't I do something? My answer is commonly, never like to say all the time to anything, but commonly, did you feel like you had calm manageability? Did you feel like your dog was, that at any given time you could maybe change that? So you said that you did have some sits and stays or whatever you did before. And then when you said to go get the squirrel, you went together and it was fun. If something changed, like a a child went by on a bicycle in between you and, and you had to just, you know, maybe stop that for a moment so that she didn't barrel over the child on the bicycle. Did you have the ability to do that? Yep. Yep. I could have waited till the kid went by on the bike and then chased. Well, fine. So your dog's listening to you. You're having fun. It's what you're doing together, but you have the ability it's just like 
again, with children where you're not going to stop them from going to places and stop them from doing things. But when they're there at a restaurant or somewhere, they, they do have to listen and get with the program, but they can still go and do stuff and be kids. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Does that answer? I never tell my. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 all yeah, about them yeah, having the skills that they can do more with their dog, not less. That's the whole right. thing. We want them exactly. to more, more freedom, more time with your dog, be able to take your dog camping or I don't know what you do in New York, but, <laughs> but whatever you no, do, it's, you it's know, you, you want to be able to yeah, do that and, and feel comfortable. There's there's a huge difference in, in why I see people walking their dogs in different countries. So a lot of people, when I lived in New York City, there was a, there were a lot of people that were walking the dogs on leashes and the dogs were not paying attention. The dogs were doing their own thing. But when I lived in Berlin, hardly anybody had any leashes whatsoever. The dogs stayed by the side. They didn't run off anywhere. There could have been a squirrel. The dog was not going anywhere. It was really, it was a, a like massive difference. And there's other parts. I thought it was just Berlin, but it was also in, uh, in Munich. Uh, a couple other places that I witnessed that the dogs were just by the side, weren't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Now, is it because they spend more time with their dogs? Is it because you know the people in New York City don't, or what? What's your opinion? Hmm, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that. I would say it's the norm to use a leash in New York, so people rely on it. And and if you can rely on something and it works, but using the dog's brain is always, always good. That's the only tool I rely on is the dog's brain. So I would say that they taught the dogs that, I mean, there's people that do walk around with their dogs off leash and they have complete control, but maybe because it's not accepted, that people don't go to that extent to train it because it's not legal to walk around New York with their dogs off leash. Although you can see a lot of people walking with their dogs on leash and the leash isn't doing the work. The, the dog, they, they technically wouldn't need the leash, but they put it on because they're legally required. It's interesting that you bring that up because in, in Canada, on the West Coast in BC, now maybe not all of BC, but Vancouver, Victoria, they have a lot of off-leash dog areas. So you could just be riding down, you know, one of these uh, multi-kilometer bike paths and running paths, and then all of a sudden there'll be a sign. The next two kilometers is leash-free. And there might be a road over there. There might be a parking lot. There might be a kid's playground. And if you're going to stay on that bike path or you're, you're just going through the leash free and the people are expected to manage their dog well and not have their dog chase somebody on a bicycle or, and it works. It works very well. They also have, it just could be like a small area in a little community parkette. And it's, it's not known as off leash. It, it actually is. It's a legal off-leash mm -hmm. area and it's very small area. Whereas where I am and more so in Toronto, it's, they're all fenced. Now there's areas people will go because the community accepts it as off-leash, but, but more so they have these set structured fenced off areas. And there's in where I am, there's relatively very few. The city two hours north of me has an off-leash area that 
is more like a hiking through the trees. I like that, but it's still a structured area. You still have to drive mm -hmm. to it. It's not just, you know, right in like a community downtown area. Toronto does have some. So it's interesting because you would have to have your dog more with the program. A better trained is such a, you know, just bonded and more with the program in order to be able to just take it, take your dog off leash to a community or area where there's, you know, a road over there and a kid's playground over there. Yeah. So I think it's more just what people are used to and what the dogs are used to and what their expectations are. So I saw in your bio that I saw the Yulin Festival. Were you there when it was going on? No, I've never been there. I was gonna... I've just worked with the dogs okay, from okay. there. Yeah. No, I've, yeah. I've... Yeah, I don't know if I'd do well. I mean, again, you have to just maintain yourself and do what you can do. And I completely admire the the rescuers there. Holy smokes. But no, I just have worked with a lot of the dogs who have made it to Canada. And my clients have them and my clients have adopted them. And it's it's amazing. They're great. The rescue works are great. Yeah, because I, I saw videos of that. And um, I mean, I, I, I was... I was one point walking around the wet markets for a little bit, and well, I, I I was floored. I was floored by it. I mean, just it, it doesn't need to happen. A, it does not. There's no need to have this wet market around. I mean, you're selling peacocks, you're selling all kinds of animals that, like, this shouldn't be the case. But, um, yeah. What how what long was that ago experience were you like for you? How, well, how, what was it like for you? You tell. Tell me, I find that really oh, interesting. I, mean, I was I was a different person back then. I think it was around 96, 97. Oh, right yeah. Around the, the time when um, uh, Great Britain handed over China, mainland to, to China. I was I was around that time. Wow. So. Okay, that's a big time. Yeah. That's a. Okay, so there were lots of yeah. different animals just hanging there. I, I think, yeah, that, that, that would be. But like you said, it's it's all part of what we learn as we go through life and how do we feel about that and wow, would we do the same thing today when put in that environment as we as we would have decades ago? And how would we how would we be different about it? Sometimes I look back, I mean, I was in Spain when I was in my early twenties and I I learned about the bullfighting. I really, you know, and the running with the bulls, and I didn't really know that much about it. And I look back now thinking, wow, why did I not have more of an opinion on that then? Or why did I not? But I think it probably did help formulate, but I felt like I should have done more. And then I've only more recently, well, the past uh, decade or so, learned more about the Galgos and how they're treated mm -hmm. in Spain. I think. For me, a lot of it is, again, getting back to that tradition is how they're killed and why they're killed. So if if they're <laughs> like the ones, the, the tradition in the Yulin market or the, the, for those ones who kill the dogs, that it, the more pain that the animal endures during the killing, uh, the more money they can get for it or the more aphrodisiac qualities it has i mean there's all sorts of things whether that's true or not true it's it's not a valid or justification and it's grounded in no. you know it it's that how an animal is is killed is should be a big defining factor on whether 
mean, if the animal's in any pain at all, like you said, hunting, some people are, yeah, I think, again, it just gets back to what we were talking about before with the tradition and why are they doing it and, and is the animal suffering and what's, what's the purpose and why and. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no reason. It's like, I, I think the last time there was a, anybody witnessed a, a beheading was 1903. So it was just over a hundred years ago it was the last actual beheading. And, and so we, we, we need, we need to evolve and get away from cruelty. We need to evolve and get away from, you know, finding beheadings fascinating. We need to get away from that. I'm glad we are, but we, we also need to do that and treat other animals as if, you know, they, they, there was a story. I watched the TV show cause I wanted, I wanted to find out whether or not I, I normally don't watch TV. I don't have, I don't have a TV. Um, I just, you know, look at shit through my computer and stuff. Even my sports, even my boxing, I watch through the computer. Um, there's a story on the, on the TV show called the King, the, the Mayor, Mayor King side or something like that. It's got, uh, got the actor's name, just like you with memory, you know, <laughs> like, I forgot the name. Um, there's a story where the Dakota made the dogs a part of the tribe. They were family members. Okay. They were actual family members. They were, they walked with uh, the people everywhere. And so <laughs> when the, the colonizers came in and took over and they, and they put all the people on the boats to go out, the dogs actually went into the water to follow them, uh, to follow them. And of course, they all drowned because they all kept wanting to be loyal to the to the people that they were. It was basically family, huh. you know. It was family, but we don't have that. It's either our survival, and that's it. And we're in a much better state of mind where that's not the case, and that shouldn't be the case, you know, at all. Like animals are here to help us, and we're here to take care of them. We're not here to for, for their meat and for their pleasure and for anything they're here to help us you know and we take we we take that environment that they live in and we put lead in in the bottom of the ocean so that the, so these these beautiful creatures have mercury inside their body which they shouldn't there's trash everywhere it's like what the hell is wrong with us what is wrong with us that so we are treating our environment ourselves and especially animals I'm sorry, I'm on my soapbox. So I, Good. I can talk about I love it. <laughs> for hours. I love it. I yeah. think it's it's great. We don't have the right to do that. We don't have the right. We and don't. we don't have the we right have to tell right. people that. I mean, you, you're taking on a very large scale, absolutely. I mean, the oceans is a huge topic. It's it's and it's disgusting what we're doing and air pollution. It, but there was one point of what you were speaking there that I found interesting where People might be their their area might be flooded or they're in a tragedy or a hurricane or and and they they need to leave and there's organizations that come in and help these people get out. They need to be able to take their pet. They need to people just sometimes they won't leave. You'll see them floating on a log with their dog and they just won't leave. And it that that is so beautiful and heart-wrenching. And it is now coming around where there's organizations that take people with the pets and and to help. And, and again, this is all the larger scale issues and what we're doing. I, I, 
I talk somewhat regularly with a, a woman who's high up in IFA. She does incredible things. She's a veterinarian. And there are organizations that are doing really, really good work, and I'd like to be more involved. I, My book, actually, not to get off topic, but my book uh, just came out. It's just coming out this week with the second edition, but it actually has won an award and made more of an influence in the animal advocacy than dog training. And really, that's what I'm all about. That's really what it is. Wh where where cognitive behavioral therapy comes from is, like I keep saying, to decrease behavioral euthanasia and to allow us to bring those dogs into our homes. I just feel like I would like that to just become mainstream and to get on some of these larger topics that you're talking about in these larger problems and work with organizations that are doing amazing work there's a lot of animal advocacy groups that are making a lot of difference and and ah, I just find it there's so much wrong yet there's also a lot we can all do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the thing is, me personally, I think it's because, you know, it would require us to change. And if we need to change, that means there's something wrong with us. Something wrong with us, then we can't accept that. And that means we've got to look in the mirror to see what happens. And most people don't want to change. You're exactly right. People that's, want that's, progress. People want things to progress, right. but, but they, they don't, don't want to change. And they don't want things to change. Right. And they don't want to have to admit that. And this is what I'm dealing with with the dog world right now. Regular dog people contact me and hire me every day. And they've been told by their veterinarian, mm -hmm. they've been told by other trainers, you know, your dog can't be fixed or you need to euthanize or surrender. And then we get to we'll go, why isn't this out there? Because changing the mindset of the norm, challenging the status quo, disrupting the status quo, or having people say, okay, you know what, we need to incorporate other ways is challenging. It's very difficult. It's, it's, I didn't learn what I know in the same path that other people did, which is why I don't have the same formula. And that can be tricky for people. And that can go yeah. right up to the topics and issues that you were talking about is for government to change and for laws and traditions. And you're, you're talking some organizations that are grounded in, you know, the infamous old boys club and money and, it's it's tough to change perception on a small scale. For me, dogs are the most willing creatures. Well, I'm all probably all animals aside from humans to change their perception and to want to do the right thing and to want to to learn and to bond and th they absolutely do. Humans fight everything. No. I mean, my my doctor well, she gave me Queen Bella Health. Hey, you know, that's awesome. I'm, I'm hey, so um but she said that she is she is amazed how much people she tells people look you're basically on death's door you're in your 50s you got this you got that and you know i can give you medication but at the same time you got to be willing to not eat fried food you got to be willing like it's okay once a week it's okay every now and then it's okay but every single day and they just would rather have the medication they'd rather suffer with what they have that and take the medication, even though the medications they they have serious complaints about the medication, but they're not willing to do what it takes to change that in the environment itself to actually make the permanent change happen. Oh my god, that's such bizarre, a great you know? comparison. That is so great. It is, yeah. yeah. People want solutions, but they don't want to have to implement them. <laughs> right. And people want to say all the right stuff. Oh, I'm, 
you know, I want to bond with my daughter. You know, I want to get healthier. But then they don't want to change. So I, yes, I compare a lot my profession often and other people do as well. Sorry, I just had to see what my dog was doing. Uh, With a nutritionist or doctors. Because we're changing mindset first and how we approach doing that and how people learn and how we can get them to, it's almost, (laughs) people can do cognitive behavioral therapy on a, in a family way where like in, in, within their daily life with their families, when they, it's sort of the example I use is that honeydew list. So you make it seem like it's their idea to do it. Mm. (laughs) That's and that can be the same with how a nutritionist might might uh, work with someone if their goal is to lose 50 pounds. If they really don't know right from wrong, like they don't know that an apple is better than deep fried food, to use your example, mm-hmm. then often, mm-hmm. which is the same as conditioning methods with dogs, if you just explain it to them until this is what this is what would be better and this is what would be worse then they just choose the better that's great that's the same with dogs if if they want that but if they're already thinking and learning they've already got something set in their head or maybe their bad eating habits come from anxiety or come from stress that's when you would they know that an apple is better than a bag of potato chips but they're choosing the bag of potato chips anyway because they feel like they need to. There's they so you have to just let that go and deal with the the root of the problem, which is the anxiety or the stress. That's right. cognitive behavioral therapy. So it it once people the light bulb goes on and they see that change in their dog or within themselves, they're more likely to change holistically. Change. So you'll often hear people say, "Well, their goal was." to just lose 50 pounds. But once they changed their whole mindset, once they changed their whole approach and they saw small improvements, like their hair was healthier, they slept better, or they they might still have not yeah. lost 50 pounds, but their nails are better or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden they're going to start exercising too. And then that leads to losing some weight, which, okay, now, and then everything works as a whole. And then you get all these mm-hmm. changes. That's what I love so much about cognitive behavioral therapy. And when I was a child, I think I resonated with the people that didn't focus so much on just right there. And they got to learn to, and people, even a lot of people, they just like people that get to know you as a whole, which again, why your podcast so great? Because you're getting to know people as a whole. It's not just talking about one topic. It's, and people like that. They, they want to have a, holistic understanding and cognitive behavioral therapy. That's why I can't give specific advice because as we start applying it and as we start building these skills and as we start building a bond with the dog differently, this dog might do something different than this dog. And this this dog will go in this mm. direction and this, and then we adapt and adjust, but we have those skills and those tools and the formula to do that. That's why I think a lot of solutions People just want quick answers, what you were getting back to, and and they just want that quick answer and they want it to happen now. I think changing the mindset on a a lot of things, a lot of issues to just be more holistic and open-minded and work through things and enjoy that process, enjoy that journey. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's funny you mentioned that is that um, with my my Dr. Doolittle friend when <laughs> we were living together in in um, in, in Pennsylvania, uh, she had a cat named Plume. A really, really interesting cat. I mean, all the other cats were friendly, but Plume. I was really into beer then. I mean, totally into beer. I knew everything about beer, left, right, up, and center. My, you know, my IPAs. Like, awesome. And I liked to drink at that point. But the cat would always run away from me. Well, the other cats were friendly, fun, but this cat just, you know, was going to stay away from me. Um, but then I decided to go back into martial arts. So I decided to go back and train, and I stopped. I stopped drinking. That's what happens when I start training because I only, you know, it's, I'd, alcohol. Like the, all the progress that you want to make training, it will stunt it. Like you, you got to make sacrifices. You can't be an elite athlete and drink as much as, you know, like two or three beers a day. You can't do it. So I decided to give it up. And immediately, almost immediately, the cat was approaching me, climbing on my lap. Um, so I think we can behaviorally change the dog in some ways. But I think the dog or the cat has a direct relationship to the environment that we're in. So if a dog is acting funny, well, that might be because of somebody might be drinking too much, it might be too hostile, might have lost a job, and it's going to be a hostile environment. Is that that's the case as well? Correct. Yes, getting to the reason for the problem is, and people sometimes make it really a big deal when it could be something very simple or small. It's just something that's important to that dog or to that animal or important to that animal in that environment or with that person, because we change as well. How right. we are in one environment and our expectations of that environment are different in another one. So if we went into a bar and everybody was drunk and screaming and singing and having a good time and jumping around, we'd be like, yeah, it's a bar. But if we go into a library right. and everybody's doing that, we're our same person, but you know, we're okay. Okay, we're uncomfortable now. How we deal with that right. uncomfortableness, some people would leave. Some people would get upset. Some people would complain. And then let's say we found out that that library is being used for a movie set. Okay, now all of a sudden we understand why Right, it's not what we expected. Then we're going to behave differently again. So you do have to figure out why. You can't just tell people or animals that they have to be a certain way. And sometimes it is feeding off of the person. And sometimes it's just something completely different. And just from doing what I do for three decades and working with people, and that's such a, a big difference. When you're working with people, you have to know the questions to ask. Because I'll think, okay, based on that dog's general personality, disposition, upbringing, that would be out of character. Or, hmm, that would be in character. Like, oh, so at that age, not so much out of character. Could have, that, that, that's something I deal with all the time. But sometimes a client will uh, hmm, it's just like people. It's like, that's a little bit out of character for that person. It doesn't make that behavior wrong. Just makes it perhaps out of character for what would normally. And that gets into psychology. So you do have groups and not everybody's a robot and fits into these groups. But there's some behavior. And then that's when I would ask different questions. People commonly think if I ask if a routine changed or if you're, they'll think big routines like their work, but it could just be something small that someone came to visit 
and they they don't normally have somebody visit at that time or that person or or maybe the visitor slept in a room that nobody commonly sleeps in and it might just the mm. dog just might or maybe they took their uh area rug to go get dry cleaned and the area rug's not there and normally that dog would sleep on that area rug you know it sometimes it could just be very small things and sometimes it's really large i think people blame themselves a lot and blame other people and we just need to bring logic and common sense back into a lot of things and compassion but i i, I see that uh i see that slowly diminishing though <laughs> i mean not to be not to be a fatalist or a nihilist or anything but i i i tend to see that diminishing to somewhat to some degree i think people because of technology, I think people are willingly one or willingly giving over their freedoms to to a device. I mean, and especially with this new thing called Meta now, it's like, oh, you get to go to another world and see. Like, I'm sorry, I could spend hours looking at a bush and just finding wonderful discoveries, or spending a lot of time with with dogs that you know have this amazing. Like, what's going to replace that? I'm sorry, I don't see Meta as attractive as a dog. I don't, or a cat, or or like woods admittedly i, I don't know what it. meta is i've never heard of it but that's i'm okay with that but i kind of get the idea of it's like a, a false world or something i guess yeah yeah i don't either and i don't like anything that's tech like what you and i have besides <laughs> boxing and animals and they, it, but like technology is like i have no idea yeah. i have no clue and it's not like i don't want to learn yeah i truly do want to learn but for some reason the last time i i did something that involved something technical uh at this one job i had i went to turn on the computer and i all i did was double click on, on, on google chrome and all three computers shut down <laughs> i have no idea that is so me <laughs> you know it's it's so funny when everyone says with something with tech, that's never happened before i've never seen that it's it's me it, it's like it's me it's yeah. i have this yeah. thing where even these techie girls really i have no idea never seen that uh. <laughs> technology just gets weird with me but i have to say i i really enjoy like i have my own podcast and i've learned a lot and it it has its benefits too and meeting people and and being on social media more has been something that i have to manage but has also been yeah you know has its has its benefits as well it's it's i guess it's how you use everything well i, I see it like a yin and yang hmm there's mm. it's it's light and dark and, and the no the thing the thing what people people think it's a really cool symbol and I think it's an amazing symbol as well it's what I what I spiritually look for in my life is is ultimately is the balance mm -hmm. like you you definitely at times you want more of the dark side and at times you want more of the light side and but there's got to be that balance that balance each other out so um, but I want to ask um, about your book and then your podcast. So uh, about your book, yes. Um, well, I just admittedly about about I, I'm writing a book now, obviously fiction, and it's about a werewolf. Um, so <laughs> I, I think deep down inside, I have an abusive personality because <laughs> even though at times I love writing the book, at times I I get so jazzed because of new ideas. I I, I love that. Other times when I'm stuck, when it's not going well, and I got to think of things. I'm calling my book names. I'm calling my book, you know, that you, you, you've ruined my life. All I think about is you. You don't love me anymore. You know, I, yes. I, I treat it like an abusive relationship, which is not. But I, how, how did, 
How was your journey through complete from start to finish in this book? A complete nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not alone. No, no, you're not. And I don't think we're alone. I think, uh, yeah, the writing a book is, I also write fiction and I have to say I go into a better mental place when I'm writing fiction. I I love writing fiction. um, And I do kind of, yeah, crazy fiction stuff too. It's not, uh, it's it's not family friendly coffee table. It's not like anything aversive, but it's um, kind of Quentin Tarantino ish. I would say people have called compared oh it to oh my god, like I, that best friend. You're my best friend. No yeah. arguments. You're my best friend. Yeah. <laughs> because my my top three favorite films of all time was Jaws, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, definitely Pulp Pulp. pulp like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. kind of like that where something sort of comes out but as far as this book my book the reason it was so difficult was because one I my publisher I ended up it's Friesen Press they're Canadian and they have a system that I just didn't work with it was very robotic um the the people were always changing the I just I didn't like their system at all so I was battling with that but also I was battling with my industry and learning about my industry. So I had been successful with what I do for quite a lot of years and had been applying it to clients and working one-on-one with clients. And I loved that world. It was great because I'm learning so much. And and then I decide, okay, I'm going to put this into a, a book and get it out there. And all of a sudden I'm getting more well-known. I moved to the city that I'm in now and getting myself out there more, teaching it more, getting more referrals from veterinarians, which of course, competitors and the other people in the industry, which I'd never really dealt a lot with prior. I just done what I Mm. do and it just was good. I mean, I had, like I said, there'd been uh, problems with the larger organizations like SPCS, I was awarded by Humane Society, but there's also, you know, that whole ego that comes in and everything else. So I'm deeply immersed in my profession on a day-to-day basis, working with my clients and then bringing that over to the book and then bringing the book back to my daily life. And it was just very hard to, you know, I was having clients say to me more and more, I almost put my dog down or I've been told to, or I'm so frustrated or I adopted this dog and I've had three trainers before you. So my frustration was growing with the necessity. We need change now. And I put Mm -hmm. so much pressure on this book to do it. And really I look back on this book and the second edition has made some changes and, and, but I find it, I, I need to write a book that just gets to the point more gets to the point I was trying to sort of please everybody with this book. I, you know, the rescue organizations and the people that adopt and the, and and not say anything wrong, but we need, because I didn't want to push people away and I still don't, I need to collaborate Mm -hmm. and I need people to, to want to learn what I do and to accept it. But on the same note, like you said, there has to be that mindset that's changed and there has to be the, the reason to change the mindset and to say it's okay to have more tools in our toolbox 
Just because we say mm-hmm. this is right doesn't mean that's wrong. And so the right. book just took on this huge, and then partway through, I actually created Upward, the word Upward, Urban People with Adopted and Rescue Dogs. So I completely changed the book to, to say, yes, like now I have, it is cognitive behavioral therapy, but that sounds so formal. Let's get a name for it. Let's get, you know, it's Upward Dogology. So the book is actually called mm-hmm. the, the Art of Urban People with Adopted and Rescued mm-hmm. Dogs Methodology, The Art of Upward Methodology, which is a very long title. The, the new book, the second one, focuses more on rescued dogs and changing our perception of them and bringing them. So as I'm learning about myself and as I'm really learning about cognitive behavioral therapy and as I'm writing the book and I'm working with people and I'm learning more about the industry, it was just, I got, I got very stressed and sick and overwhelmed. So I think... I think I just need to do a second book now that I feel more on top instead of in it. I feel more like I can see it differently. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was a far too long answer to your question, but it was it was a no. it was a challenge. No, no, far from no. That was that was far from too long. I, I think it was actually kind of short. But <laughs> it was a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, so. What all right? So the book, obviously, I haven't read it. I I will be. Uh, I can promise you that. Um, I'll send one to you. And I'm not the brightest bulb in the Christmas tree. I'm, I'm really not. I'm really not that bright. Would someone like me be able to understand this book and 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 implement it with my? You know, if I had a dog or something, like, it's like, not how a do you tra- break it down. To- yeah, it's not a training manual. It's more okay. my journey of three decades through dog rescue and what I've learned and what to expect from dog rescue and how it's changed. And I, it actually gets into as much as it's changed, it's also remained disappointingly stagnant. I talk about uh, some of the volunteer stints I did with uh, spay and neuter clinics. I talk about just the dog world in general, how different people can help. And then by the end of the last couple chapters, I get into how dogs think and learn and cognitive behavioral therapy and the difference between puppies and dogs. I do have a lot on why standard methods fail with these dogs, with adolescent dogs, older dogs, adopted dogs, and that that can uh, turn some traditional trainers off. But no, it's not intended for trainers, and it's not intended to train. It's intended to just make people feel like it's Where? not necessarily their fault. If they're failing their dog okay. or they're feeling as though what they thought would happen isn't, you're not alone and you're not failing your dog. It's the system. So some trainers have said, well, you're not taught, you know, you don't know this or you're not doing this or you're not certified in this method. Right. But that, that doesn't change what I, what I've experienced and what I know and what my clients are telling me. Hundreds of clients, I have veterinarians for clients. So I have people that are very educated in traditional methods Mm -hmm. So it's not that people should be blaming themselves. It's that they, they need to ask the system why. And I know the system's very focused on removing negative methods, which is great. That obviously we don't want aversive negative methods. We also need more than what is currently there. So there was some feedback. Well, she hasn't talked about 
positive correction or positive. It doesn't mean I don't know it. I do. I just mm-hmm. don't talk about it in my book because it's not what I do and not what the book is about. So some people are looking for something in the book that's okay. not there. And other people are reading the book and just finding what's there is interesting. I guess it's like any book, really. I guess it's like any book okay. where it depends on what you're looking for, but it's not a training manual. It's not a step-by-step training manual. Okay. It's it's that we need to change our mindset from always telling dogs right from wrong and what they can and can't do and, and getting rules and alpha and dominance. And we need to to move away from that because we're trying desperately to help these dogs and bring them into our families and... That's going to be challenging if we don't incorporate, in my mind, cognitive behavioral therapy and in my experience. So it comes more from an animal advocacy. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I I tend to, um, like I I, I said in the beginning of the podcast, I write write down a bunch of things and, and, and stuff. And you have definitely hit the nail on the head in quite a few things. I thought, okay, I'll write this down, write that down. It's like, wow, you're... Very forthcoming. I don't. I'm so happy about that. Um, and there's some questions I will ask because I feel like I don't want people who who are taking their time out of their day to listen to me rant like I'm doing right now, um, and and say I wish he had asked that question. I wish he had asked that question. So I want to do them a service. It's, it's like you can say yes or no to any question you want. It's it's up to you what you want to ask. Or, you know, but I just, I just feel like sometimes when I write stuff down, it's like I think the audience might want to hear this. So sure, I totally get that. Is there any regret? Yeah, uh, is there any regret about not having kids? No. Yeah, that's what I figured, but I I just wanted to make sure that. You know, that if somebody was listening, it's like, yeah, I was, you know, no, she didn't want any, didn't want to have any, but years later, it's like, part of me wants to raise two kids, wants to adopt and raise two kids because there's so many kids out in the world don't have parents. And I kind of feel like I'm, I'm a hypocrite because I want people to adopt and take care of animals, but I feel like there's so many kids who are not wanted. I want to get two kids, their brother and sister, and raise them and teach them everything I know. Introduce them to wonderful people like you who help them understand uh, behaviors of, of dogs and animals as well, but like introduce them to you and, and stuff. And so we can have a different perspective of this world, you know. And that's, I agree. Like, that's what I, just, just because I don't want my own or I don't regret not having my own, I do really enjoy uh, children. And I work with them a lot because I do family pet training. So I, I do see them and I, nice. I, I like they're sometimes they're. They're great in a session. Oh, my gosh, I'll ask a question and the parents will be, well, I don't know. What do you think? And the kid will just give me this answer straightforward, knows the dog, knows the answer. It's great. I, I And it doesn't mean that people who hel- are helping kids, I mean, we could go on forever. Well, if you're bringing in dogs from Korea, shouldn't you be bringing in helping dogs in Canada? Well, I do that, too. And I help rescues that are local and I help rescue. I mean, you could, everyone could go on forever saying somebody should care about this instead of that. Like I said, I I don't think everybody has to have the exact same passion I have. But if, if someone were passionate about helping children or teaching children this or being a, a foster dad or brother type thing, go for it. You know, what, whatever your thing yeah. is, do, do your thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I just, People can be very, very judgmental. Yeah. And oh my gosh. Somebody decides they don't, yeah, they don't want to have kids, and it's like, well, what's the big deal? That's just their choice. That's what they want to do in life. 
you know, my, my best friends, they chose not to have kids. So why is that a big deal? They mm. choose to raise animals and treat them as, you know, these kids, these cats as their own. So that's their life. Why, yeah. why is that up for debate? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I don't it's, know. I never just, never really. I did want to just say that if people are interested in getting more to straight to the point on cognitive behavioral therapy, the podcast is the first the first uh, season, actually throughout the podcast, and it's got scientific studies, if people are more interested in that. And it, I do interview people that do amazing things in the animal world. So the podcast is probably more straight to the point. But again, it's not a step-by-step training manual. No. Yeah. Don't, don't have expectations. Just, yeah. It's just your stories more, so, more with animals. Well, it talks about cognitive behavioral therapy and what it is and the, the right, 10 right. steps. and But that also allows people to understand why I can't give... You know, what does your dog do? What do I do when my dog does X behavior? Mm-hmm. If I could answer that question, I would be a conditioning reinforcement trainer because that's what conditioning reinforcement trainers do. But that's not the platform right. of cognitive. It's not that I don't want to. It's the platform of cognitive behavioral therapy doesn't work that way. And that's what I, that's And what you had mentioned with. earlier about um, the loss and you said you would love to be a lawyer. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> So where, where do you find putting, like, there's, there's many different aspects of your life where you're putting on the cape and, and saving, saving not only animals, but people from themselves. Like, where, are you ever going to find time to do this? Or is this something you're going to keep putting off, putting off and like maybe one day? I know. I know. It, it's true. I guess, I guess in my mind, I felt that getting cognitive behavioral therapy, upward dogology mainstream would happen quicker. I didn't sillily enough is that a word sillily sillily enough i didn't sure let's go with that (laughs) i'm not the brightest bulb on the christmas tree either so there we go sillily enough i I felt Mm -hmm. that it would be more quickly accepted by the gurus and taken on and just because my clients love it they find me they know me they open their mind to it they do it and they're expecting the industry to provide them with the most updated information and yet a lot of those people are very nervous to to rock the boat or step out of the status quo or upset their colleagues or the the status that they've held so i didn't expect to, for it to take this long so i'm still in that and i i would like to teach it on a larger scale in collaboration and once that's done then i can move to my next thing so i i have to you know, I maybe I'm at some point where maybe that will happen after. Maybe if I went and got my master's in, in I do have a BA from a recognized, well, near where you are, Western University in London, Ontario. So I have a BA. Get, you know, is it is it worth my time and money to go and get these degrees is that something that's going to, because you take Jane Goodall, I mean, she worked hands-on and learned what she knew from doing it hands-on. When she went back, she got her degrees from university simply so that what she knew and she could spread it faster and people recognized her. And and. But what she actually learned working hands-on didn't change. That was just put on a shelf oh. while she went and and I don't mean to speak for her, and I know I'm bringing it down to a nutshell and, and bringing what everything she's done down to, to something. But I have seen her live, and I, I do remember that where, 
you know, it's, do you, do you put that aside so that you can get the credentials or put a name out for yourself? When you come back, it's, it's, it still is what it is. It hasn't changed. And if it were to be able to, to, to be out there as courses and being taught to, to rescue organizations and uh, influential large organizations that influence other, you know, rescuers and pet owners, pet people, pet lovers, without that. Yeah, you're catching me right at a time where I am making that decision and feedback's always good. I mean, anyone who, any of your listeners that <laughs> have any feedback on that, I mean, I, I, I am, I have definitely for a while been at that point of, okay, here I am one-on-one, one-on-one, and I love it and perhaps hide in it a little bit because my clients are awesome. And it is so emotionally wonderful to see that change and to save that, you know, even though it's my profession as well, which is not just volunteer, but also it's my profession and a successful one. It's hard Mm -hmm. to leave that, but I do need to, to take that, that step. I can just see anybody going against you and losing bad. <laughs> losing bad. I mean, real bad. You know, I mean, I just, I just, I just see that person love that. who just harmed a dog or something and, oh. and they just look at you and you give them your look and it's like, they just know they, they're done. You know, that's, that's, I mean, you're definitely a fighter, no question about it. I mean, you're definitely somebody who's very passionate about what you love and, and the, the people that bring you, you know, the, the creatures that bring you love and the, the dogs and everything. And like, you're very, you're, I mean, your heart's huge. I mean, it's massive, Thank you. you know, what you, what you can bring. And I think that is somebody, yeah, for Thanks. sure. Well, I mean, back I'm, at you. I think you're, you're the, the same way. I, I see you as exactly the same way and it's tough. I mean, it would be, it's always easier to follow the norm and go with the status quo. But I learned what I know from yeah. dogs and I owe it to them and it does work. It is successful and I need to continue to spread awareness on it. The root of doing that, I guess sometimes I've sort of gone off. But thank you for that. I really appreciate that because sometimes I think people like yourselves and, and animal advocates and people who do really good things, sometimes we do feel, you know, what the fuck? What are we doing here? Is this working? Should we be? <laughs> yeah. Should we be doing like, what is going on? And then other times it's, it's yeah, this is, you have to stick with what you know is is right in your heart and you have to stick with it and do the best you can do. But better, yeah. better, better than that. I mean, I've only gotten to know you a couple hours, but it's like I'm I'm your number two fan, and I think you can do it. I I believe in you. Thank you I, so I much. I definitely believe in you. I mean, number one fan, of course, are your pets. I mean, the the dogs and yeah. your clients and stuff because they know you a lot a lot longer than I have. But I'm definitely number you know, number two fan for sure. I think oh, I love this. Yeah, Thank you, you so definitely, much. I, I you're, you're quite a. So are you. This podcast is I've listened to quite a number of that. Some of your guests are phenomenal, and the way you have of bringing out i mean you did it right off the get-go on this this show i mean i like i said i never share that but yeah you're awesome you're great and the opportunity to share this and spread it and i know your listeners are really cool people i can tell from your podcast that your listeners are so it's nice to be on a podcast that's not dog related it's people it's about people and that is so cool that's so great for me yeah i love it so great for everyone 
Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, you're. I, I find, like, I, I think I mentioned, mentioned. I forgot if I mentioned this too, but I. It's not that I don't have anything. I. I don't, it's not like I have anything against Sam Harris. I. You know, I don't know him. I don't. Never met him. I've read his work. He's an interesting man. He retains a lot of information, but he's not the single parent who had to make a choice between two bills. He's not somebody who has spent thirty years of their life. Think- on trying to help people understand how to, you know, get along with other animals. Like, he's a, yeah, he's interesting. I'd love to talk to him someday, but you're way more interesting <laughs> than he is, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. You know what That's- I mean? It's, it's, it's. I, I find that way more interesting than, than, in somebody who just, you know, like. That's so, you know, uh, that's like probably then, the, the best compliment I've ever received. I, I really appreciate that. I, I didn't, don't really intend to be, I don't, I've been called the unintentional rebel because it's not, it's, it just, I just do what I do. And I, sometimes I don't even realize that people are, you know, and it can be hurtful too when people, so hearing compliments like that is great. There was one podcast I was on and she introed it. But this was, she did the intro after we had our rec- uh, our chat, as I think I do and probably you do. But um, she compared me to the uh, Doseki guy, the most interesting guy in the world. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. It cracked me up. And she said, I know Billy won't care. I was like, no, I didn't care. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> well, I, I, we we have to meet in person one day. Yes. But when we do, we'll have to get out a couple of dosakis and and cheer to yeah, you. Yeah, some IPAs. And cheer to yes. you to all you. Yeah, and, yeah. Because I, yeah. I mean, we got to do that for sure. I'll yeah, bring I mean, you my book. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm currently not doing much of anything right now, which is working and writing my book and and uh, you know recovering from injury. But like when I do get more, you know, when I have more money and more 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 something i definitely want to get more involved in what you do and and help expand the because we need to get along with animals we can they're not they're not us for dominate and it's from that stupid christian thing where they said that well yeah and in, in the bible we shall have dominion over the animals it doesn't mean we need to beat the shit out of them <laughs> it doesn't mean that we need to you know to 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 put them outside chain them to a rope when it's 40 below zero it means we have you know we care for them I mean, for Christ's sake, I, I, there's so many freaking Christians out there who interpret that as being, you know, like it's your job to be sadistic. It's like, no, it's your job to be a caregiver. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, my soapbox. <laughs> no, I love your soapbox because it is. It gets right back to what we were talking about on people can justify anything. They can open the Bible and pick something and then justify it. It's like, what the hell? Like, no, don't yeah. do not do that. Like, use. use yeah, exactly. And you, yeah, that's. Don't do that. Just yeah, my soapbox has got all kinds of stuff painted on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so that is why, you know, I would love, like I said, lawyer or, you know, some other journalist. That's another one I wanted to be. They have a lot of power. Journalists and so many mm-hmm, journalists absolutely. now are just, I don't know, they seem to be more worried about public relations than anything. They need to be rad, say what they, they have such a, an ability to make a difference and they oh that was another one i really wanted to do when i was younger and feel that just has so much ability to make change and yet they're they're worried about disrupting the status quo it's like get a soapbox stand on it and do it and you know like i said i i don't want to turn away people that i'm trying to attract so i need to balance that 
but there's no excuse for harming animals. There's, there's no excuse. And people need to, people who have the, the power to make change need to do, do you, that. Do you feel like you, like having a blog would help out quite a bit, would bring out your inner, inner journalist? That's interesting. I've thought, and YouTube and a blog. Uh, yeah, and, and I have to say, I'm only really sort of understanding blogs. I love writing. So I would say, yes, I do have, yeah, I think it's, I think for me, it's a matter, I'd like to, like I said, it's the animal advocacy. There are so many avenues and yeah, I'd love to hear feedback or suggestions. I mean, if you have more suggestions or your listeners, I'm, I'm open to suggestions on how to yeah, or collaborations. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm down. Anything, anything. Because right now, the only thing I can offer is my time. I don't, I don't have much well, money or anything right now. This, this podcast is great. Yeah. You, you can offer a lot, and <laughs> yeah, no, you're amazing. You have a lot to offer. Thank you. you. Don't need a lot of money. I don't have any money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I mean, we will, we will have it, but yeah. just not right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. just just right now, it's a building foundations and stuff. So, but after I read your book and I know I'm going to like it, I'm going to promote the heck out of it. Then we'll have a dinner somewhere at Dos Equis and make yeah. sure it's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah I can't wait. Oh, and if I was in Toronto, we'd be even closer. So, you know, that's a that's a goal too. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, or down in New York. Too. I love New York. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. Now it's it's a different it's a different story. Oh now. yeah. Uh, New Absolutely. York was pretty rough for a second. Um, now it's gotten a lot better. Oh good. But I mean, now I live in the country. I get right. to see deer. Wow, that's um, phenomenal. I'm around, I'm around tons of coyotes. Um, yeah, out every night. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that's great. That sounds awesome. Every night, yeah. Come on down. You're more than yeah. more than welcome to come down. There's that's fantastic. always coyotes. Always. It's yeah. And sometimes they come out during the daytime. I know. I know in April when they when they finally start to come out of their caves, or whatever, and they really get hungry. Um, you see them quite a bit during the daytime, which I was very fascinated by. But yeah, I see some real big ones here. Back to your climate change, uh, they are being affected by it. There, or at least where I live, they're working in packs earlier, so they didn't used yeah. to start doing that till more deep into our winter, but they've actually been seen in packs. And one of the uh, dogs that I worked with uh, from the Korean meat market who came up radar, he, he, his mom, she also adopted one of the uh, Mexican dogs that I brought up. But anyway, she takes them all out to the country and he was attacked by a pack of them and she wasn't expecting it this early in the season. So yeah. they are changing. They, they are, and they're so beautiful and they're so great. And, wonderful and i they need their space and they need their they need to be they need to adapt to what we're doing to this planet and it's i can't even imagine how hard it is on some of the animals to figure out what the hell we're doing yeah. humans are doing but anyway i yes. I, <laughs> I talked to a friend of my, well it was a friend of mine who spoke with somebody who is very very deep into the climate change thing and she she just basically asked him flat out, is there hope? Is there hope? And he just said no. He said it's changing. It's going to change. What we need to do now is like 
stop the bleeding as much as possible. But it, it is going to change. It is yeah. changing at a rate quicker than, than we thought it would be. Yeah. You're, you're starting to see like a lot of the sea levels rise and all these all these people living on these islands at one point now have to go find shelter elsewhere on the mainland. Yeah. And you're starting to see that a lot more in like India, I believe. Um, you're starting to see a lot of people traveling over and trying to get over to well, the neighboring countries. And 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 uh yeah, I can see where it's making huge effect and, and it's not good. I mean, no, it's not even good. even in even in um Colorado in the Rocky Mountains, when you drive out of Denver and you go into the Rocky Mountains, you see a whole size of mountains where there's just no trees. Yeah. There's no trees whatsoever because the Asian beetles, which the winters would kill it, now it's warmer. Now they're just devastating the sides of the mountains. Like it's, it looked like a logging company came along and just wiped out the entire size of, of mountains with trees. But no, it's the Asian beetles are just tearing down all these yeah. trees and eating them up. And that's so what I was thinking about before. Yeah. It's certainly not my area of expertise, but there's no denying it. And there's there's yeah. no denying it. It's, Yeah. Yeah, we need change but, on very many levels. And there are people doing wonderful, great things. And there's people out there making making change and making a stance and get a soapbox. Everybody needs a soapbox. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. again. If you, want, if you have one change, we, we'll have an ear for you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, your podcast is great. And thank you. Yeah, you're doing wonderful and, uh, things. So to promote your podcast, what is it called? Dog Training Disrupted, which is... By Upward Dogology, and the UP is big upward, so dog training disrupted, which is funny because it's not really a dog training podcast, but it's disrupting the dog training world, depending That's on how shit. people view it as it should, as it needs disrupting in a good way, in a positive way. Mm -hmm. So, but disrupting isn't isn't negative. It's and then your book is, as I have it here, it is Rescue Dogs, That's, a Misunderstood Breed. Yeah, it's actually on Amazon. It's called The Art of urban people with adopted and rescued dogs methodology. That's actually the title. Uh, but the, the people who, you know, the marketing people and that those, all those people, the, what the book's about is larger. I don't know if you know that as an author, but they're doing that a lot with books now where the actual title is smaller and then what the book is about and the author is larger. Hmm. So no, I, I, I have to get up. I have to get over my abusive slide before I can finish a book. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm at the point now where it's coming along so well, I'm scared. I'm actually scared it. now. It's I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, it's the werewolf, uh, the werewolf um, genre has not been touched in a long time. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I like this, this aspect and it's, it's got everything in there. It's got zombies. It's got Frankenstein. It's got all kinds of oh, all cool. that old, old school stuff. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. it's not actual Frankenstein, but it's like a Frank, Frankenstein-esque person and all that stuff. So no, there's no mummy. Um is there, that's kind of like a Dracula in there, I guess. But that's cool. Um, ah, yeah, I look so right to now reading it's, it. it's it's halfway done. But you're definitely wow. get a signed copy for sure. I promise. Right you Right on. One. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I think that's. I love fiction. That's so cool. That's so great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it looks like a. Well, I mean, if you need any ideas or anything, just you know, write an email to me and whatever. Yeah, we'll keep in touch um, for more sure. More than happy to help you. I'm, out. I'm sure, and we're always but, in touch on LinkedIn. So glad I met you there. Yeah. And you as well. I mean, it's been a real honor. Real, real honor to have met you. Thank you. You as well. This has been very, and, um, very fun. And thank you so much. You're awesome.
and Thanks, you as Chris. well. And thank you for for, for doing this. Uh, I mean, and the thing is, we didn't have a pre-interview, so we just kind of <laughs> winged it. So I'm glad we glad we did. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we winged it. That's for sure. It was awesome. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. And who was the who was the dog behind you? Who's the little one that was jumping up? Well, I call little. He's actually around thirty pounds. He's a Mexican street dog. His name's Pancho Villa. I brought him Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa. Pancho, yeah, like the revolutionary. And his yeah. sister's also in Canada, Tulsa. Uh, so yeah, he's actually owned by that uh, fellow we were talking about before, who's the ex-boyfriend, the best friend. Mm-hmm. That one. Uh, so. And then my dog is a Costa Rica from Costa Rica, streets of Costa Rica. She's older, mostly blind, but he's mm-hmm. like my dog too. He's here all the, like he's here all the time too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a. They both speak Spanish and English, so they're bilingual. <laughs> very cool. Very very cool. All right. Well, it was a pleasure. And again, if we want to do this sometime, we reach out and I'd love to have you on. You're a great conversationalist and very super interesting person. So. Well, I hope Uh, your listeners enjoyed it. I hope they did. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to our website, thefullpodcast.com, and follow us. We'd appreciate your support. More episodes are soon on their way.